you explain a little bit about what we're looking at? So the Panama 2011, we have the Australia 2014, Jamaica WP 2013. Uh, So these are produced in these locales. Those are the years of bottling for each of them. So each uh, year is indicated on on the label is uh, the distilling years, in fact. Right. And, uh, And then... Uh, so if we, I have to speak about the transcontinental rum line, uh, the idea with this range is to be uh, as much as transparent as we could. In fact, we are displaying a lot of information on the label because we want the, the consumer, we want the people to, to know what they are actually drinking. And uh, the purpose of this range is also to, to educate people. So uh, by educate people, I mean, I don't want to teach them, but I just want to, to give them information on the rum uh, to let them know that, uh, for instance, this Panama 2011, it's a nine years old rum, but it was aged seven years in Panama and then two additional years in Europe. And uh, I just want to, wow. to, for people to, to understand uh, that, yeah, uh, two years, for one year of uh, tropical aging, so uh, aging in Panama and one year or, or, of uh, aging in, uh, in Europe, it's, it's, it's quite different. It, it won't uh, give the same thing to your rum. Your rum is going to evolve differently. So by tropical aging, we, we, we refer to a, a climate when it's hot with, with a high humidity rate, uh, with, a, with a high uh, angel share. Uh, we often need that okay. yeah, in this kind of uh, country areas, the angel share is around uh, 8, 10, 12 percent, sometimes even more. Wow. When, uh, when in Europe, uh, the angel share is around 1 to 2 percent. But uh, your rum is going to uh, age much more slow, slower in a, in a European uh, climate. Uh, so this is why we want to display all this information on the label to, to let people understand that, yeah, uh, depending on when your rum is going to age, uh, it, it, you won't have the, the same product at the end. Uh, it reminds me of something. Uh, within La Maison Evelier, uh, a couple of years ago, it was in 2019, we did a, 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 a bottling. So it's the same rum. Uh, it was, uh, uh, in fact, two Jamaican rum, but one was, for instance, aged 11 years in Jamaica. And okay. the same exact rum was aged 11 years in, uh, in Europe. And uh, as a result, uh, even if the, 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 the fresh one was the same uh, as the base, uh, at the end, 11 years later, you, you had two different, two completely different products. So uh, this is just because of the aging condition, nothing uh, else was, was same different. It was, it was the same uh, parcel, same, uh, same uh, bourbon barrel, just the oh, aging wow. condition was yeah. different. So that's why uh, in that's this branch transcontinental, uh, I want to, to, to display uh, uh, this, all this information. In fact, I mean, I, I'm not the one who has created the range. Uh, it was created in, in 2016 uh, um, at the time by La Maison Whisky, one of my, my, one of my mother company. And I, I took over uh, the range one year and a half. And I, uh, six months before, I, I, I took over the, the rum tool thing. So I've really been working on, the, on this range for, for two years. Uh, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great tool for me to, to, to let uh, people understand how diverse can be the, the, the world of rum. Because under this, this single name, rum, uh, you have so much diversity. I mean, from a rum, uh, a rum from Panama is different from a rum from Australia, from Jamaica, but all of them, they are called rum. But yes. uh, uh, sometimes just the, the raw material won't be the same. You can produce rum from molasses, from sugarcane syrup, from sugarcane juice, uh, and it's as a result, they are all so different. So the idea with this change is really to, to, at the same time, to educate people and to, to, to be transparent. This is one of the main motto of this range, to be transparent and to, to, to really give all the, the information. So you have the, the type of distillation, the type of barrel, uh, the aging condition, and uh, I mean, 
this is uh, uh, pre pretty it. For the single cast, we are trying to be even more uh, uh, geeky uh, by giving the ester rate, the sugar rate. So yeah, people just to let them know what they are drinking, in fact. I wonder if this is where it finally cracks through after all the years that we've, yeah. we've said that this will be the year of rum. Remark. Yeah, we've been talking a long time. We, we joke on the podcast that for many years, there are some people in this community say, this is going to be the year of rum. Like rum is finally going to hit it big this year. And selfishly, sometimes we're happy <laughs> that it's not a big deal because we can still access really great rums without them being too expensive or people fighting for them. Yeah, you're right. Every year uh, you're saying this is the year of rum. I don't know, to be honest, but I know that uh, year after year, step by step, uh, people are more, more knowledgeable uh, in terms of rum. And uh, I do like the fact that we, we just had a small influence on, on this and uh, by just uh, developing our product and uh, if in, in one year, two years, five years uh, rum is even more popular I'm, I'm just going to be happy about this I mean, uh, I'm, I love so much rum it's uh, just a matter of, of sharing and passion I mean, when you speak about rum with people they're all, yeah, just happy about it and uh, I mean, I just, just I love to, to, to be able to, to offer within that range uh, a, a, a a lot of different kind of rum. So we have a rum from Panama, from Australia, from Jamaica, from Barbados, from Mauritius right now too. Uh, and uh, within my job, since I'm in charge of the rum sourcing, my idea is also to, to try to, 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 to buy some new kind of rum. Uh, last year, I was able to, 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 to buy four single casks in Cambodia. Uh, so, and I was wow. super, super happy about it. it it's from uh, the Samai distillery. I don't know if you if you know about this. It's a distillery uh, so located in, in Cambodia. They are producing rum from molasses, but distilled in, in, in part still or in current still. They can do blend also, uh, and uh, they are doing great product. It's not so known right now, but uh, uh, I hope that in the future people will also uh, discover and like uh, rum from Asia because, in fact, sugarcane yeah. is coming from Asia, so it's normal to be to find rum from Asia at the end. <laughs> Would you like to tell us a little bit about the one we're about to sample, the 2011 Panama? Actually, before we get there, yeah, I would love if you would just introduce yourself to yeah, our listeners. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm like uh, speaking about rum, 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 and uh, you, you don't even know who I am. So, uh, every, uh, hello, everybody. I'm, I'm Joan Jubelo. Uh, I'm a rum product manager and a U.S. market coordinator for La Maison Ville. Uh, I've been working for La Maison for, for, for three years. Uh, and uh, I have been a great time. I, I used to, I started my career in the rum industry as a, as a vendor in one of uh, La Maison du Whisky retail shop in, in Paris. So uh, as you can maybe uh, uh, hear, I'm a, I'm a French. Uh, I was born in, in Paris and, and, and raised in Paris. Yeah, uh, we can hear your beautiful my, accent. My <laughs> <laughs> it's evident. No, I, can't, I, I can't hide it, but I mean, uh, as long as you guys understand me, I'm fine with it. Uh, I have uh, Caribbean roots. So my, my mom, she, she does come from Martinique and my father is coming from Guadeloupe. And uh, so I've, I've been able to, to, to live for a couple of years in Martinique too. So, uh, I mean, I like this, uh, this, uh, this blend of culture between the Caribbean, France, and uh, yeah, this is me. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. What, what pushed you to get into spirits? Like when you took that first job at the retail shop? Ah, that's a pretty nice question. Uh, so, um, for a long time, uh, I wanted to, to work in the sport industry. Uh, I used to, to, to practice track and field. Uh, I was... Uh, in a, how to say it, uh, 
uh, in a kind of uh, sport program. Yeah. Uh, I, I was specialized in 400 uh, meters with hurdles. So uh, at one point, I, I had to stop to, to pursue my study, but uh, I always thinking that uh, I would work in the sports industry. So okay. I used to work for uh, uh, a French news newspaper. Then uh, I, I worked for uh, a, um, a European TV channel in sports. And uh, at one point, I just realized that I, I do love sport. I, 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 I still practice a lot of sport. I'm a, I, I play a lot of tennis right now, for instance. Mm. But I just feel like, uh, yeah, I didn't want to, to pursue uh, in, this, uh, in this industry. And at the same time, I really want to, to, to be able to, yeah, to, to make the, the link between my, my culture, my history. And uh, uh, at that time, when I was um, a student, uh, every time I would go back to, to Martinique to, to visit my family, I would bring back so much rum to, to let my, my friends uh, try some <laughs> rum agricole, yeah. some, some different style of rum, because there are only yeah, uh, drinking the, the, the classic rums that you can find uh, in the supermarket and, sure. and mix it to, with, uh, with, uh, with Coke, for instance, or with juice. So I started to introduce my, my friends to, uh, to, to Tiponge, to stuff like this. And uh, at just on one moment, I realized, okay, maybe this is what I want to do in my life. Yeah. Uh, but at that time, uh, I had no experience. Uh, but to be honest, uh, to my mind, the only good rum was uh, agricultural rum, you know, uh, since I was coming from Martinique and Guadeloupe. This is <laughs> uh, all I uh, ever drinking in, in my life. And to my mind, at that time, uh, I'm truly honest with you, uh, Molasses rum was like shitty rum. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I started to, to look for a job. And uh, the thing, uh, I did not have uh, any experience in the, in, in the industry. So uh, I, I was lucky. Uh, I, I managed to, to find a job at uh, one of uh, La Maison du Ski retail, retail shop in, in Paris. Oh. So it was my first experience uh, in uh, a real experience uh, as a professional in, uh, in the spirits, in the liquor industry. So I, I uh, started there in, uh, in March uh, 2018. So only, yeah, four years ago. It's, it's not a long time. And uh, I really did my class over there. I mean, I, I learned so much in, yeah. in that store, in fact. Uh, I learned, of course, about rum. So that this is uh, where uh, I started to, to drink uh, Jamaican rum, Asian rum, uh, uh, Fijian rum. I mean, rum from everywhere. And this is also where I started to understand that well, yeah, molasses rum can be nice too. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and I also learned so much about whiskey, about tequila, mezcal. I mean, as if, as if it was as if I studied again my study, but to be specialized on, uh, on, on liquor. And uh, sure. I spent one year and three Your months. In, in, in that, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I spent one year and three months in, in that shop. And, uh, and uh, luckily, my, uh, uh, they offered me a, a position within La Maison Envelier. And uh, I, started in the, I started the first July of, of uh, 2019, so three years ago, in fact. Uh, I started uh, as a, I was uh, doing the, some kind of trade marketing, sales administration, but Quickly, they gave me the rum sourcing, and then I was able to 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 cover transcontinental rum line and uh, another brand, which is uh, Rum of the World, which is uh, unfortunately not yet uh, imported in, uh, in the USA. And then the, uh, I started also to work with uh, the U.S. market, uh, with with Kate, uh, with Jan also, which is our our, our, our guy uh, for the East Coast. And uh, and uh, here here I am, three years later, uh, talking to you guys in, in Minneapolis. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was a uh, Kind of a short 
but intense journey. And uh, sure. I mean, if it's only three years ago, that for three years that I've been working for for La Maison Ville, I, I feel like it was maybe ten years. I, I learned so much. I mean, uh, we are a small team. We are doing a lot of stuff. But uh, I mean, this is uh, how uh, I was able to to develop uh, all my skill uh, in in the liquor industry and, uh, and specifically in rum. And uh, I'm so proud to 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 yeah to to be able to to work in the rum industry to to speak about it and uh, and uh, yeah and uh, because yeah this is my route and uh, and I like the fact to because rum is coming from sugarcane I mean it's something coming from the earth uh, and, uh, and by working it by uh, distilling it by aging it then you you you, you create a great product but all of this that's that's come from hers at the beginning. Yeah. So yeah. I, I really wanted to also to 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 yeah to work with some something uh, uh, how to say it, ma material something real. You know, mm. I mean, sure. uh, I have nothing against uh, all the digital, the Bitcoin, etc. But uh, I, I like to 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 speak about something real. In fact, yeah. you know, right, something that you can hold. Yeah, I I love that you had you had started off talking and you brought up the education piece, because the the nice part about delving into spirits and whatnot is that all it requires is you to have an open mind and to take time to learn. You know, like, I love the, the idea of running 400-meter hurdles, but I can't just, like, think about that and read a couple books and then say, like, I'm going to do that. You need athletic talent. You need all that. For me, to get into food and drink, it's, it's just, do you want to give it the time or not? Anybody can do it. Anybody can learn about this. Anybody can start trying stuff. And then the more that you learn, it's almost like it becomes exponential. The more that you learn, then that knowledge builds on other knowledge, and it just keeps going farther and farther. And all of a sudden, yeah, I mean, we're not, we're not traveling the world bringing amazing rums from around there. But, you know, again, looking at where I am in my journey, thinking back to when craft cocktails first hit in, in Minneapolis, we all learned together, and then we all shared that knowledge with each other, and then everybody got better. And once, once we got better at it, then we started asking for better things. And then sometimes if they didn't want to come through, we started demanding better things. And the more that we asked for better things, the more we realized how much more is out there. And that's how you change a culture. That's how you change how people see things. And that's why this year might be the year of rum. <laughs> the year of, is that the, the de facto title? The year of rum. It's got to be. I mean, yeah. I, I think the first time that I remember us talking about it was in 07 or 08, somewhere in there. I remember having like a really passionate conversation with Jesse Held about that this, I think this is going to be the year that rum breaks in, in, our, in our scene. And all that happened was whiskey got more expensive and everybody just focused on that. <laughs> it's crazy. Very true. But I, I like the fact that what you were saying that, uh, yeah, you, you're still learning and I'm still learning too. I mean, okay, I started to be maybe more knowledgeable in terms of rum, but uh, I'm trying to, to, to stay humble about it because, because I'm still learning. I mean, there is so much stuff to, to, to discover. I mean, uh, uh, I'm still discovering new rum. You know, now you can also produce rum in, in, in Africa, uh, in, in Ecuador, in, in Taiwan, in Haiti, and uh, everywhere. So, I mean, uh, I'm still, I like the fact that uh, yep. it's uh, everyday learning. Uh, I, I like to say something that I heard one time at a talk. You learn and you learn and you learn, then you die. Yep. If you think you know everything, <laughs> you don't really know anything. You know, when you're like, that's it, I know everything, I'm good. <laughs> can, I, can I ask one question about the Cambodian rum that you found? Is, is, is the distilling of rum in Cambodia, is that, is that leftover from like the French influence? Or is that something that culturally that they were doing there already, just distilling spirits from sugar canes? 
Ah, that's a good question, and to be truly honest, I I, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is, there is a part of the French influence, but just I mean they were growing sugarcane, so yeah. at one point they just decided to 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 do something with it and to distill it to in order to produce rum. Uh, there is another uh, another um, rum distillery in, uh, in in Thailand, which is uh, Chalong Bay. I, I don't know if you know them. Uh, they are operated oh. by by two French people, but I know that they are really. Oh. Local really working with the local people. The idea is to sure. also to, 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 to make this country be part of their product and, uh, yeah. and their rum. So it's, it, it's, a, it's a rum from Thailand. It's not a, 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 a rum from Thailand made by French people, you know? Uh, it's, to my mind, there is a, a big difference uh, in it. So, yeah, since sugarcane is coming from Asia, I mean, it's just normal that they are doing uh, rum. I mean, yeah, there is also Arak, which is kind yeah. of a cousin to, uh, to, 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 to the rum. So they, they, they do have this uh, uh, culture in terms of uh, uh, sugarcane distillation. Yeah, it's like French wine being made in Lebanon. Yeah. It, mm. Everything's different. The terroir and, the, you know, the Becca Valley has great climate for growing grapes, but it's French wine being made in the Becca Valley of Lebanon. Similar dynamic, I guess, if it's... There's just there. There's a tendency that that Western Europe and and the U.S. and North America likes to paint their influence over everything that existed in other cultures originally, and that that was kind of why I was asking. Is I could see I could see some houses in Europe or in the U.S. trying to take somehow take credit for that. But there's We've had a Cambodian rum on this program, Tyson from Skalden. Oh yeah, you're right. It was sketchy. Cambodian. It was, yeah. It was was like like, a hand-drawn label. He said that his, um, one particular bottle we ended up drinking together, he said his father-in-law grabbed his wrist when he was about to drink some and said, don't drink that, it's poison. (laughs) And he was like, let's try it together. And we, (laughs) so we didn't, maybe that wasn't the best Cambodian rum that we were drinking, but we have had Cambodian rum on this program. We take risks, damn it. That's what we're here for. Mm -hmm. This seems a little less risky. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And speaking of that, speaking of less risky, I would love to know a little bit more about what we have in this class. Uh... It's a Panamanian? Yeah, Mm -hmm. okay. Uh, So it's a classic rum from Panama. I mean, uh, Panama has been distilling rum for a very long time. It's uh, uh, there, there, there is a really unique style, and uh, for every, every people who like this kind of soft and sweet and uh, yeah. uh, rum. But really with this Panama, this rum from Panama, so I wanted to you know to offer to the people there is a real style from the region, but with no additive. I don't want. I didn't want it to 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 to, to do something to, to the rum. And this is the, the purpose of all the ranch. We never had anything yeah. to, to to the rum except water to, to do the, the reduction. So uh, I wanted to to offer to the people. Yeah, this style this style of rum. So uh, kind of sweet and uh, and uh, and uh, and soft and, and mild, but uh, just just as it is. So uh, molasses fermented column distillation. So this. Multicolum distillation gonna give you a, a quite uh, uh, light rum at mm-hmm. the end, but uh, just uh, ex-bourbon barrel aging seven years in Panama, one more year in uh, in Europe. Reduction to 43 ABV, and that's it. I mean, uh, and uh, and this is how uh, uh, rum from Panama should be uh, for me. I mean, they are also, for instance, doing uh, doing the, the solar aging, which is from uh, sp- uh, Spain, and it's also nice. It's it's just a different aging process. Mm. Sure. Mm. Well. Cheers. 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 Get into it. Yeah, that is 
exceptional. And uh, just to really come back good. on uh, what you were saying about uh, uh, Western Europe and USA, yeah, sometimes we maybe we can be auto-centered, say, uh, thinking that we we know everything. But uh, we're going to speak later about, for instance, this uh, rum from Australia, from, from Binley Distillery. Mm. And in fact, uh, it's a distillery that has been operating si since the, the late uh, um, 1880, uh, thank you. Wow. And uh, I mean, it's almost unknown in this part of the world, but just because... Everything is drink in Australia, <laughs> 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 so they, 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 they are not able to, to export a lot. Yeah. Uh, but they have a strong rum culture in Australia, and uh, this is a rum made from molasses, part still distillation, uh, just like it's a, it's a real good rum. Yeah, and I'm so proud to, to be able to, to to yeah to have it within my range because Australia is doing great rum too. In fact. And uh, uh, the, the, the sugarcane is grown locally, so it's uh, uh, locally molasses too. So they, mm -hmm. they are really developing such a great product. I love the, the Panamanian rum that we just had. I love how it comes on light, and then it, as it warms across your palate, you kind of get a sharpness in all of those flavors. Like it almost got more flavorful as it sat on my tongue for a second or two. There's some indescribable depth in there too, yeah. where if you told me that that was like finished in sherry or something, I would believe you. Really and so nice. for this one, we we so we decided to reduce it to 43 ABV. But I like also to uh, to uh, to do this kind of rum, but like uh, cast rank or higher proof, sure. like around mm. uh, 55, 60, 65 ABV, for instance. Uh, uh, maybe we're going to talk about it later. But for instance, we did for top ten uh, a single cask of Bailey's 2006. So kind of the same style of uh, uh, rum, uh, Central America rum, so quite soft, uh, 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 sweet, so uh, really this uh, vanilla, coconut aroma, but this one was bottled at 65 ABV, and uh, in, in fact, in this rum, you're gonna feel so much more spicy, stuff like this, but this kind of rum, can, you can definitely drink it at a higher proof, and it's to my mind, just get better. But I mean, for the current, the idea is, uh, as I was saying, is also to, to educate people. So, I mean, uh, not everybody can drink a, a rum at 65. Sure, sure, sure. So that's why the single casts are more for uh, advertised people, uh, I would say. But uh, yeah, the idea is uh, why not bottle uh, a, a, a rum from Panama, from Belize, or from, from Salvador at a higher proof? I love it. It does work re really well, too, in fact. Mm. Was I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah guys, does it work well with the cigar, the Panama? It does. Yeah. I, like I have oh, a lot I'm, of. Yeah, that's probably part of where I'm getting those notes like that. Like richness is probably the tobacco dancing with Absolutely. that rum. I'm getting almost like sherry or like an oxidation quality for the two being consumed beside one another. So this was a it's a good choice for us to be down here in the cavernous confines of Club Caraway. Club Caraway. I I have some some really beautiful. Um, like, there's like a like a there's a leather note in the cigar, and then there's a nice vanilla note in there, and that vanilla note just danced all the way through that rum. Like that's it's perfect. I, and of course, then I started Jeez, dreaming of of, uh, of drinks that I want to make with that. You know, <laughs> like it was. Oh, it's this is fantastic. And if this is where we're headed, I'm I'm very thrilled about this. Much. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna start mild, yep. and then build to that. For our, for our listeners at home, we're also um, fortunate enough to have two other humans in the room with us tonight. We got uh, Katie and John, who are uh, helping pour things, and also just uh, Thank you. making it feel like we got a little campfire going on down here. 
Well, in a nice yeah. little circle. <laughs> I, nice, I like this nice vibe. Nice and cozy, <laughs> low lighting, nice cigars. Uh, we're terrible hosts. Does anyone want a cigar? We have cigars. If anyone else would enjoy a cigar. Absolutely. Yeah. There's an in, there's a whole box right on that cart there of and cigars that you are. You have a cutter and a lighter right next to you. Joan, would you like a cigar? Oh, are you okay? Thanks. Great. Uh, yeah. Let's let's roll into our first topic of conversation. Beautiful. Joan, what's the friendliest city you've ever been to, other than Minneapolis? You don't have to say Minneapolis. Because <laughs> we're not pandering. We don't need. We're not pandering. We don't need the cheat code. Pick a different city. <laughs> mm, I would say. Um, yeah, if I have to find to to, to yeah to, to choose one single city, um, or maybe just one that sticks out to you, yeah, or a region too. Like if there's if there's yeah, I mean uh, 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 maybe one Chaco in in Peru. I mean uh, when I was uh, when I finished my study um, uh, in 2016, um, my mom she she went back to Martinique, so uh, I went with her. So I, I spent like uh, one year and a half over there. And uh, but during th- this time. Uh, I wanted to, to travel, so I spent three months in South America, starting from uh, uh, Buenos Aires uh, up to, uh, to, to, to Colombia. Wow. And, uh, and uh, I've been to, through Argentina, Bolivia, uh, Peru, uh, uh, Ecuador, Colombia. And uh, I, I, at one point, uh, I stayed maybe one week in uh, this uh, small village in, in Peru on, on the Pacific coast uh, named Monchaco. Uh, it's a, a surfer uh, uh, village and, uh, and uh, Everybody was so chilled, so nice. Uh, so, yeah, cool. it was really a friendly uh, city, a friendly village, in fact. So, yeah. Peru is high on my list because a lot of incredible restaurants are in Peru, and I have never been, so it's, it ranks high for me. Yeah, and uh, Peru, yeah, if you uh, are so good at, at doing uh, pisco also. Yeah, exactly. Pisco, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, uh, years and years and years ago, uh, I dated a woman from Peru, and one night, uh, she just kind of showed me some pictures from when she grew up, and that's it's just been seared in my brain ever since. No, so. no, Peru, Peru is uh, amazing. I mean, it's, uh, it's another topic, but uh, if you guys uh, you were lucky enough to one, do, one day visit uh, uh, the Machu Picchu, I mean, uh, I mean, it's uh, otherworldly. I, I knew that it was a great place, but when I was there, I was just astonished. Can you imagine this guy? They built a whole city over a mountain. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. So if you have the opportunity to, to go there uh, one day, just do it. I'm in. Road trip. We're taking, taking the show on the road. <laughs> we gotta, we, Recording we, live at Machu Picchu. Start the podcast, <laughs> step one, step two, question mark, step three, travel the world successfully. And, and not step four, pay. record live at Machu Picchu. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, also, uh, I also think that my answer would be South, uh, South American, uh, Bogota, Colombia. I yeah. everywhere I Bogota also or Colombia Colombia was so nice so yeah everywhere that we went so I, w- I was there for a wedding and the wedding was about an hour outside of town in the middle of the countryside and from the village all the way out there through the city everywhere we went everybody looked you in the eye everyone was saying hi having fun people just had music going and like I love there was a the hotel that we stayed at there was a food cart kind of kitty corner across the street from us and he always had just like a banging soundtrack. All four days that we were there, there was always good music playing. And you'd see people in like business clothes on their way to work. And they would stop by and like just have a little dance party for 30 seconds or a minute and then move on. <laughs> and I, I just thought like that, that joie de vivre of being around 
being around a place that like it sounded like how like my happy place like I always have music going and I always want to be you know kind of moving around and, and having fun and I felt like that was an entire city that reflected that back at me and it's it's subtle but it's even like the color schemes of things and like there's just bright colors everywhere and it makes it like made me happier it was like the opposite of like seasonal affectiveness disorder when, you know, it's too dark for too long and you get sad. It was like, it was impossible for me to feel down or tired or anything when you look around and you're surrounded by beautiful people and beautiful colors and beautiful music. The fruit looks better. Like everything looks better there, you know? Mm. Like I, I just, I, I got on the plane and I was sad, but I was still smiling because it was just, you could feel a pulse in that city that was different. I've been to busier cities. I've been to bigger cities, but I've I've never felt that vibe, like coming through like an entire city. I don't know. I just I it completely charmed, and I cannot wait to go back because we didn't get to Cartagena, we didn't get to Medellin. Like I gotta, I have to go see more, and then obviously gotta get everywhere else. <laughs> Charles, what about you? I'm gonna say uh, Portland, Oregon. And oh, I, I, I brought it up on a cursory level in the past on the pod, but. You feel like the main character and everyone in that city is an NPC that's just prepared to speak with you. Like everybody's just so happy to direct you to the bar or suggest a brewery to go to or tell you where to eat biscuits and gravy. I remarked to Marnie when uh, she and I traveled there together that people are so nice there that I could very easily be drawn down a dark alleyway and stabbed in the back because someone would just be like, hey, friend, come with me this way. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, where are we going? Oh, you got me. It was just everyone there is absolutely, like, flatteringly kind. It's almost like they're, they're anticipating having a conversation with you in a way that I haven't really ever experienced anywhere else, even though a lot of places I go, there are plenty of friendly people. But there I was essentially looking for someone to be, like, unhappy or rude, and I couldn't find it. We went to um, uh, wines. I think it's called Wines on Division. This this beautiful wine shop with a bar in it. I'm ninety percent sure that's the name of the wine shop. It wasn't very far from where we were staying. And when we wandered in, it was it wasn't late. It was like seven fifty five. And they said, "Hey, we're closing in five minutes." And we were like, "Oh, no worries. We're just we're just walking from Pock Pock and heading back toward." where our Airbnb was located and someone remarked to us, if you want to pick up a bottle of wine to take back for your nightcap, stop at um, Division Wines or Wines on Division, whatever it's called. So we pop in there, we're like, no worries. And so then I started inquiring about bottles. And the next thing you know, they're like, they latched the door and they were like, come sit at the bar. So we went and sat at the bar. There was already one lady present who's probably a regular. And there's two staffers who were behind the bar just cleaning glasses. And they just started pouring stuff in glasses. We try this one, you'll love this one. Like, do you guys like bubbles? And then they, you know, popped a new bottle of bubbles. I'm like, aren't we supposed to leave? And they were like, no, 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 you're cool. Just sit there. And we were there until like 1130. We just sat there and we were drinking. The staff was drinking and they just kept pouring stuff for us and not charging us Amazing. for it. And we ended up leaving with like five or six bottles, three of which we brought back, three of which we consumed on our trip. But just that sort of like flattering hospitality where no one, ha- no one has to be that nice to anybody. There's no reason to be that nice to anybody, but when it happens, you just feel, you feel like the main character. You're like, wow, these people are so kind. It's funny you saying that because actually the first city that popped into my brain when you were explaining that in Portland was Winnipeg, Canada. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in a different life, my band went up there to play a show, and we had decided that we were going to stay for an extra day or two. 
And we never looked up a single place to go. We never went anywhere that was our idea. It was just every single bar restaurant we went to, somebody would end up making friends with us and then they would tell us their next favorite place. And then we would just keep going. Like we weren't asking for it. We did. We asked one bartender one time. Other than that, it was all freely given. Uh, and then at the end of the night, that f- the night that we went out the whole day, so that was a Saturday, uh, the regulars at the bar invited us back to an after bar at their house. Like three complete strangers in a, I'm just going to say, in an abjectly terrible band that, that played a show <laughs> at like a shitty sports bar. And they're like, yeah, come on over. And like 4 a.m., I'm like, I don't even know where we are. I don't know the people's names that we're here, but we're having the best time, so we should probably stay. Yeah, and sometimes so he just hung out. Yeah, it's almost sometimes so surprising what people are so friendly and, you know, is it normal? But yeah, in fact, yeah. it should be considered considered right. as normal, like to be friendly, to be, yeah, friendly with everybody without being shy or, or afraid of a stranger. I mean, this should be, this should be the, the normality, in fact. Absolutely. It is Division Wines, I just confirmed. Division Wines? Okay. Division Wines, yes. Well, shit. What are we, uh, what are, what's, what's this next? one that, that we're drinking now? So this is uh, as an Australian one that I was uh, talking about uh, previously, so from Binley Distillery. So wow. located uh, in, the, in in Queensland state in Australia, so it's a rum distilled from uh, from uh, fermented molasses and uh, in, a, in a copper pot still. So Binley is uh, uh, maybe the yeah it's the oldest uh, rum distillery operating right now in in uh, in, uh, in Australia. Uh, so they've been doing this since uh, the. 1880, uh, and no, they're, they're doing great. So I'm super happy to be able to 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 to, to uh, bottle this product. So this, in fact, this this particular binle uh, was aged three years in um, in Australia in an ex bourbon cask, and then uh, we brought it to back to to uh, to Europe, and uh, uh, I put it in a um, um, cognac powder. Sure, in cognac. Yeah. Uh, in, in cognac. Yeah. Cognac fuller in yes. cognac. <laughs> because we, are, we have a, at the moment an aging facility in, in cognac. And uh, uh, the idea uh, by aging it in the fuller is like, uh, since it's a large uh, wooden vat, it's a 3,000 liter wooden vat. So, of course, uh, we're going to pursue the aging, but really slowly. Because I thought that the, the rum was kind of already uh, ready. Uh, but we wanted to to pursue the, age, the aging, so the, the wooden footer is a is a good uh, uh, way to to do it without giving not too much influence uh, on on the rum itself. And then we just reduce it at uh, forty eight ABV, uh, and that's it. This is fantastic. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. And if I uh, can speak a little bit about this uh, distillery, because yeah, it's really a great do. distillery. Uh, last year, we have been able to, to do a, um, a, a joint bottling with them, so kind of official bottling of Binley, but with uh, La Maison de Villiers. We did two different bottling, a 2006 and a 2015. And... Um, the, the main difference between them, uh, besides the age, was the, the aging condition. So uh, the 2006 was aged at the, the Binley facility, aging facility, so in a kind of a tropica- uh, tro- tropical cl- climate. When the other one, the 2015, was aged in the desert, so like a hot temperature, but much more drier. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, the idea was also to, to, to give the, the people the, the opportunity to, 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 uh, to yeah, 
to, to, to discover the differences. So the 2006 was really on the tropical fruit, uh, super fruity, when the 2015 yeah, was a little bit more drier and uh, straightforward. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, it, within the same country, but I mean, Australia, it's at the same time an island and, and a continent, but uh, uh, yeah, depending on the climate, just sure. like I was saying before, you, it really uh, helps us to, to, to develop different kind of uh, uh, profile aroma. And uh, we still have some, uh, some stock uh, aging at, uh, at, at Binley at the moment. So maybe in the future we'll be able to, to do new, new battling of uh, Binley. I, I really love this, uh, this distillery. They are doing such a great work, in fact. I, I think it's really beautiful because, <clears throat> especially in the bouquet, I really I picked up the, the bourbon and cognac notes Yeah, there's right away. more sweetness on the nose. Yeah. Um, but then there's a really beautiful, like, bright fruit in the middle of that that I wasn't expecting. I kind of thought it was going to be, you know, leaning more towards bourbon. Same. But, but that ended up being just, like, beautiful and bright with accents on the edge. Those, like, sort of warm, darker accents. Finishes but, dry and there's yep. a little bitterness present. Yeah. Some nuttiness after, like, it sat on my palate for a few seconds there. Like, there's a lot happening after the fact. Yeah. That's... I mean, that's two for two now where it completely changes. And as those are vastly different. Vastly different. Yeah. Of and once again, so this different. is the purpose of this, of this ranch. Two molasses rum, but from two different areas. So people just will know that, yeah, uh, with the same uh, raw material, you can do so different things at the end. Well, here we go. Should we jump into the next topic? Yeah. All right. So... Um, with your history and love of uh, Caribbean culture and food, I was wondering what would be like a meal, a dish, or a drink that you'd think of first if you knew somebody that was traveling, uh, say, to Martinique. Like, is there something that jumps in your head first? Like, you get off the plane, you got to go, you got to try this. Easy question. Um, I'm not sure about the English translation. Uh, we have this... Um, this um, Seafood called uh, called lambi. It's uh, it's in the big shell. Uh, it's also named uh, uh, conch. Yeah, mm. and uh, conch. This, is, this is this is my favorite, one of my favorite meal uh, ever. And uh, I just like it grilled on the barbecue. And uh, yeah, if I have to come off the plane, this is what I would do directly to, to eat a grilled conch. Uh, I have uh, this uh, uh, this restaurant uh, located in in Le François in Martinique. It's uh, on the, um, the the east coast on, uh, of the island, so on the Atlantic coast. And uh, this guy is doing such great grilled lambi. And uh, yeah, this is my favorite meal. One of my favorite meal ever. What is it served with the the con? You can uh, just with rice. You can also mm. I mean you drink uh, eat it with uh, French fries. But I mean the the, 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 the classic. Would be with rice and also uh, um, um, red beans, mm. like you slow cooked red beans. Absolutely. And you put uh, a little, uh, just a little sauce on it, which is uh, just a, uh, a mix of uh, tomato, uh, lime, uh, uh, onion, and you know, just to yeah, to to have it, to have it a little bit less dry, and uh, it's, this is just simple but. Perfect meat. A little bright acidity to kind of get we, we everything. Call it, we call it sauce creole. Sauce mm. creole? Yeah. That makes sense. I love conch, and it's hard to come by. It's getting a little easier to come by around here. They, you can buy it in, like, frozen mm -hmm. packets. It's already been tenderized, but you just don't see it a lot. Who had it recently? Oh, uh, Saunders Shaker mm -hmm. was doing conch fritters. Conch fritters. And that was surprising to see because you just did not see it on menus, and they were making little fritters, and that was served with, like, a tropical salsa and a little dip. 
Yeah, that's very cool. I love, yeah, I love conch. It sounds delicious. Uh, what about you when you've traveled down there? Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to go beverage. And uh, we were in PR a year ago, Puerto Rico, a year ago. And there's this drink that is very popular. It's probably, I don't know for certain that it is the most popular drink, whiskey cocoa. And I drink an awful lot of those fucking things. Yeah, whiskey cocoa. Co uh, you should try uh, edge agricultural rum with uh, fresh coconut water. Yeah, I was, Come on. I was oh. going to remark that oh, I bet you oh, could do the so same good. thing with and rum. It's, uh, it's uh, I mean, you, 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 drink, you drink it like as if it was water or juice. It's... Uh, It's so dangerous, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, because I do I do whiskey cocoa with, you know, just your standard scotch usually is what they use. They're usually just using like a Johnny Red or something of that nature or a Dewar's white label. And you're mixing it 50-50, crushed ice. And then when you drink it, exactly. it tastes like coconut water. You know, there's obviously some depth of flavor that is derived from the whiskey that's in it. But those things are dangerous. And I batch them because I just take two bottles, you know. I'll take the big bottle of the coconut water and then I'll take the bottle, the 750 ml of the Johnny and I'll dump it in a jar and then I take it out in the yard and I say, who wants so some whiskey cocoa? Next I try it with a, like just a, a three years old agricultural rum and a, it's Ulysses. We gotta, we gotta do that. It. I'm on it. Yeah. If Next we, time I make it, I'll do it that way. If we if we record uh, an episode before you leave to go to Mexico, we're going to sit outside and smoke cigars and drink that. I That's mean, in some ways, that sounds more appropriate. It does. Because if you think about the, the whiskey cocoa, you almost think, I would never have done that on my own. I would have never just decided to do that. That'd be like the guy on TikTok that Nate shows me all the time that pours random stuff in a glass and then acts like it's the greatest thing he's ever had. That seems like <laughs> something he would have made. But then you drink it and you're like, why does that work so well? And can I have another one? <laughs> <laughs> Now I want that. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I honestly, I'll go the same direction that you did. Um, I, uh, I did some, some snorkeling when I was in the, the Cayman Islands last and, uh, I, I saw a, a conch shell and I grabbed it and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I'm swimming back up and like the little claw guy came out and they're not strong. It, it couldn't actually like cut you, but it scared the hell out of me. And then I started laughing because I, li I literally dropped it. I'm picturing a kaiju battle, you in the water. <laughs> it really kind of was. a sea creature. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of was. And so I got, I got up because it was, I don't know, it was probably 15 feet down there. So I, I, my lungs weren't the greatest. So I came up and I was <laughs> laughing and the, our, our guide on the boat was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah. yeah he's holding I, a man of war. Yeah. They call it ambulance. I was like, I, I have never, <laughs> I had never seen a live conch before. And uh, yeah, it just scared the hell out of me. He started yeah. laughing. I'm like, I'm going to go get it. <laughs> so dove back down. I got it, handed him the shell. Like, and you again. He just this whipped out this buck knife and just, and had it. And then we, uh, we went um, to a, a small island and he built a little fire And he made a stew. So it was basically like the conch. It was uh, tomatoes. He had a scotch bonnet. And then another pepper that I didn't recognize. It was a little sweeter. Um, and then uh, some lime juice and some coconut water. And we had that. And it was wow, that's, breathtaking. That's so cool. Absolutely breathtaking. Everything like from the acid all the way down to the heat to the savoriness and the, the sweetness almost of the, the meat. Everything was just incredible. And I still dream about that bowl of soup yeah. just sitting in the sand with like a little paper bowl. But it was, that was one of the most amazing meals. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's also a classic recipe. Uh, I think it's really close to what I would call uh, a conch shell fricassee. Uh, sure. and yeah. When you, you, mm. you, you get it stew and uh, slowly cooked and uh, yeah, it's super nice too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
But yeah, it would uh, if we had a little rum agricole and some of that coconut water, I think that would be a perfect accompaniment to I that. Just, I just branded that beverage. It's Agricoco. 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 Yeah. yeah. I'm in. Let's, re- let's uh, register. Stamp. <laughs> yes, exactly. Someone call the trademark office now. Yep. Rubber stamp. <laughs> All right. We got another another round here. Yes. What are we it, getting into I, now? I still can't believe how widely different these all smell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's entirely different. So now we are getting into the, the world of uh, funkiness. <laughs> oh, man. This is so good. Woo. Joan, why don't you tell us about this one? Yeah. So uh, here we are back in uh, the Caribbean, uh, uh, precisely in, in Jamaica. Uh, I mean, that's that's uh, cool because, uh, well, luckily, I was uh, in Jamaica last week uh, visiting uh, Omden Estate. Uh, since La Maison Invalier is a, a worldwide uh, distribution partner, uh, they invite, invited us to uh, to uh, the, the inauguration of, of their aging facility uh, just to... Speak a little bit about Hamden. So Hamden is uh, one of the oldest uh, uh, distillery operating in, in, in Jamaica. They have been distilling rum from uh, 1753. Uh, but in fact, for yeah, two centuries and a half, they were only selling bulk rum, and uh, so they started to 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 um, sell their own rum in uh, in 2009 uh, through the the rum fire battling, and uh, they only started to age their own rum in 2010. So wow. at the beginning, they were aging the barrel in a like small room, and uh, uh, and uh, quick they, they didn't have enough uh, storage sp- uh, space. So uh, they they decided to uh, to to to, to uh, build two uh, aging facility. So there is a, 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 a one which is right now ready with a capacity of uh, five thousand barrel, and uh, and uh, by next year they're, they're going to have a, another one with uh, another capacity of five thousand barrel, so wow. ten thousand wow. barrel uh, in total, which is at the same time a lot and not so much. Yeah. But uh, I mean, <laughs> that's at, rapid at, growth at, considering at least it's the beginning, the and uh, we, we are really proud to to be their their partner and to be able to 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 yeah to uh, to provide Hamden uh, all around the world. So uh, we started to to sell it in the USA in 2018 in, in, in Europe too. So. I mean, I'm super proud about, about this product and, uh, and uh, yeah, super proud to, to be able to work with this distillery, which is so unique and, uh, and uh, all, the, all the, the, the Jamaican distilleries, they, 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 they get their production process from, from, from them. In fact, they, they, they really uh, invented the Jamaican rum, uh, the funky rum, uh, as, you, as we know now. But to come back on the, uh, the, the rum that we are drinking now, it's from uh, another uh, um, distillery. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if I can disclose it, but I'm going to say it. It's from Rossi Park, <laughs> which is uh, also one of the oldest uh, sugar factory and rum distillery in, in, in Jamaica, but they were closed for, uh, for many years, and uh, they started again to distill it in, uh, in 2005. So only uh, 70 years ago, and uh, Worcester Park is doing also tremendous work. Uh, they are not doing exactly the rum like Hamden, so uh, they are producing basically basically rum from molasses, uh, using selecting yeast for their low uh, ester rum, and uh, for the high esters, they're gonna also use uh, cane juice and uh, cane stalk 
mm. to 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 be able to do this kind of wild, wild fermentation. But this one is a, is a, is a light malt from uh, from Jamaica, but you can already f uh, feel all the, the funkiness, yeah. uh, all the, the smokiness, banana, uh, pineapple, mango flavor, which is really typical from uh, the Jamaican rum. So to mm. to speak about the specific product, uh, it's a five years old rum. Uh, three years uh, age in, in Jamaica and two years more in Europe, only ex bourbon barrel. And uh, this one was uh, bottled at uh, 56.8 uh, uh, ABV. Uh, to my mind, I mean, I like uh, when a Jamaican rum is overproof or high enough because sure. uh, this is how you, you get all the, 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 the funkiness, all the, the explosivity uh, in your mouth. So, I mean, we could have bottled it uh, at a lower degree, but I mean, uh, this is, uh, I wanted to, to have it at least at this uh, ABV, so, uh, but you can always uh, reduce it by uh, adding uh, a few drops of water if you, if you feel uh, it's, it's, too, it's too powerful. But uh, yeah, the idea with, uh, uh, with this Jamaican rum, so uh, 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 aside to the Panama, to the Australia, so they are all produced from molasses, but same raw material, and at the end, yeah, we have, uh, again, uh, another style of rum. So this one is uh, uh, made with, uh, through a pastel distillation, and Worcester uh, Park, they have uh, this uh, double uh, retort pastel, so uh, the double retort pastel enables you to, 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 to have a lot of reflux, and uh, which enables you to, to, have a, to, to develop all this ester and to, to really have a, uh, a heavy rum uh, at the end uh, after distillation. So uh, this is really a, a specific technique that you, you can find mostly in, in Jamaica, uh, also in Guyana, for instance. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super happy about this, this rum. And it's only a five years old rum, and, uh, but it's already so complex. So yeah. yeah. Am I am I crazy? I have like a there's like a salinity in there. Yep. There's a little there's a bit savory of, finish that a I little bit of saltiness that I love. Like it made yes. my mouth water after I swallowed. Like more, I'll, more, please more. Yeah, when I <laughs> sat on it a little bit, I was like, ooh, savory. Like yeah, right at the very end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that is just wonderful. Well, cheers. Yeah, yeah cheers. And uh, this is really yeah uh, a classic and simple Jamaican rum, but this is this is just as as it should be to my mind. It's, it's funny because, you, to me, you can tell what some of the, the, the mass producers are trying to mimic. Like they're taking a couple broad strokes and saying, oh, there we go, now we have ours. But this is, it's really evident how much you're missing when you taste something like this. Because every one of those broad strokes then has 15 or 20 other things underneath it that give it so much more complexity and so much more depth. That is, for my palate, that is... Absolutely outstanding. Thank you. Thank Holy you. Holy shit. And uh, what I was uh, wanted to say also is that uh, the idea is not to say that it's better than the official bottling. I mean, same for the Panama or the Australia. Uh, as an independent bottler, uh, to my mind, the idea is really to, to give a, a, a different point of view uh, compared to the official bottling. Because, I mean, uh, doing an official bottling, like I'm always saying, it's, it's also difficult because the idea is to uh, reproduce the same taste uh, year after year, so uh, by blending, by uh, I mean it's it's a, it's a, it's a real job. I mean you have the it's called master blender, and uh, yeah. this guy or women are super good at at it because you you know it's super difficult. I mean because the consumer is gonna buy his bottle, uh, for instance, this year, and in five years, if he buy again this bottle, yeah. he wants to have, to have the same taste. Uh, for an independent bottler like, like us, it's it's different. It's just to give yeah an instant picture of uh, what this distillery can 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 give. But uh, uh, yeah, it's just 
to, to, to be able to, to show to the people, okay, this is our official bottling, but they're also capable to, to do this, in fact. I think that's, yeah, I guess that's, that, that's where I sit on that, and I probably should have explained that a little bit more. I, I understand, like, I, I work in the beer industry, and I feel the same way about, like, Heineken or, or Budweiser. It's incredibly hard to have a product that's consistent year in, year out, that tastes the same all the way through. I just think that 10, 15, 20 years ago, and definitely even more so before that, people would try one of those, and then that's it. Like, they're like, oh, well, I've tried a spiced rum, or I've tried a dark rum, or I've tried a light rum. That's, now, now either I like that or I don't, and then you move on. This, having things like this allows you, if you do like that, but you want to learn more, now you can see really how all the different nuances can express themselves. And for those of us that are on that journey, that are trying to, to learn more and grow our palates, this is where you can really start to see like you said earlier, the, the terroir. You can start to experience where all of these are coming from. And it gives, to me, it always, it creates like a better connection to places either that I haven't been in a long time or that I've never been to, period. And it gives you like a little bit of a window into exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I have another uh, example for you guys. Um, last year, my, my um, Italian mother company, uh, Villiers, Uh, they did some um, joint bottling with Appleton Estate, so this famous uh, Jamaican distillery. So Appleton, the, the, the classic range, is uh, usually a blend of uh, pot still and colored still. So it's, uh, uh, I would say, lighter compared to this uh, uh, Worsi Park or, or compared to Hamden. But I mean, it's really a, a Jamaican rum. You, you can feel all the funkiness, but it's quite light. And uh, uh, last year, we were able to, 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 to release uh, 100% Person pot still uh, rum from Appleton Estate, and Amazing. it was the first mm. time that they, they did it. And the idea was not to to say, okay, this Appleton is better than yeah. the official battling. It's, it was just to to provide to the people, yeah, another. Point of view uh, on, on the distilleries are able to, to produce such amazing pot still rum, and they never uh, happen to, to release them by themselves. I mean, I'm, I was so happy that we were able to, to do this. And so, in fact, it was just to, to give another perspective on this on this distillery, on this famous distillery. It's it, it, it's just beautiful. This it's is wonderful. This yeah. is amazing. All right, so I think it's uh, I think it's me twice. Yep. So, uh, as we were talking at the beginning of this, that your career started uh, at the retail shop in, in Paris, I was wondering, you know, as a city and a culture that's been so central to the, the world's food program and the finer dining and whatnot, is there anything that you wish that the U.S. could take maybe from the way that the French look at food and look at drinks Is there anything culturally that you wish you could see or that you wish we understood more or that you wish more people, you would love to share a little bit more from the French background? Yeah, the bread. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, no, that's, uh, that's, no, that's 100% real. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's only one city on earth that I went to a patisserie every single day in. <laughs> that's Paris. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Um, it's, it's a tough question. I mean, uh, it's a tough question because I, I, I like the idea also that uh, every single place in the world... I, has its own influence and why we should always try to copy or to, 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 to get something from uh, somewhere else. I mean, 
you guys, you are doing your own thing. And even within the United States, among the 52 different states, there is so many different. So, I mean, you guys, you are also so diverse. So, mm -hmm. what should you uh, uh, try to get some influence from, from outside, in fact? So, uh, to be honest, I don't have a, a real answer to, to this question because... That's uh, also okay. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah, I mean, it's I think bread stands in is a pretty good. Yeah, it's answer. legit. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, and we're like, we're trying, we're getting there. Right. Our uh, our guest on our previous episode, like one of the things that we talked about the longest, was his desire for better flour with which to make better bread, and then we ate some of that bread. With Kieran, and, yeah, yeah, and it was just and like the way that they're producing flour at the food building, and just changes changes the product yep. considerably. Yep. It's going that extra mile, and I think that that leads directly into. What I would say, uh, in terms of you know, what what we could learn from the way the French do things, it's quite similar to uh, when we had Stephanie March on, and we were talking about uh, the the Japanese and the way they do things. They're just very um, discerning. They're very self-critical. The French are as well. Um, patisseries. That's a it's a great that's a great direction to look at particularly if you're talking about French versus elsewhere, you know, as a Lebanese man and, you know, having a place in Lebanon, there are, because of the French occupation in Lebanon, there's a lot, there was vestiges that were left behind when the French left because the Lebanese kept all the best parts after everybody departed. And one of those things is there's these beautiful patisseries with these incredible pastries that are like so clearly defined and clearly went through a lot of iteration. And a thing that sometimes irks me and I don't want this to sound snooty but it maybe it does and that's okay too sometimes it feels like good enough is good enough here like it you, you'll sometimes consume a menu item where you know that some small edits or just some 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 curtailing some like you know add this at remove that would take that product and elevate it, but we have this notion that, um, again, for the sake of consistency, even if it's something that's not perfect, that because it's something that people expect that we just continue to do it that way, even though the producer knows it can be better. Like, could a, yeah. could a loaf of bread not be made better by using that stone-milled flour that's being made right here in Minneapolis for like a local um, a bread maker, right? Could they not make that product better because they are getting like the germ and everything that's in that stone ground flour that hasn't been removed by yeah. the, the process. That's sort of the way that I look at um, what the French do and what the Japanese do in terms of like editing and editing and editing until it's exactly what it needs to be. And that's how we arrived at things like the croissant, you know, like that wasn't, I doubt someone got that right in the fucking first <laughs> try. That lamination doesn't happen because some yeah. guy just decided to fuck around in his kitchen or, or, or some, some lady for that matter. But the fact that someone worked and worked and worked and then arrived at that conclusion, and that's this perfect thing. You, you don't just get there by saying, you know, that's good enough and the guests like it. You get there by like editing and working and hustling and throwing a lot of stuff into the bin and you know, having the butter bleed out. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, yep, that's that. This, this, is, this is that thing. And I, I really appreciate that about certain forms of, um, you know, craftsmanship. It's not necessarily just food, but in terms of if we're talking about the French, that's something that, like, you specifically think about. 
if you have a classic French dish, that is the way that that is produced is perfect. And there's nothing about it that you would want to edit because someone took it all the way to the finish line mm-hmm. and said, that's it, leave it alone. Like you don't see versions of, you know, cook a van with like fucking uh, Jägermeister in them. <laughs> Flaming hot Cheetos crumble over the top. Ooh, never mind. Okay, I take back everything. I, just <laughs> I, uh, I, would also, I would also tell everybody listening out there, if you want to immediately, overnight, begin to appreciate the bakeries in your neighborhood more, and then the breads that you have when you go to other countries, or please, when you visit France, just some Saturday or Sunday, get up, and just try making croissants. Because I have made them... Why are you trying barely, to ruin people's weekends? Barely tolerably. Like, <laughs> I have made them enough that I was like, I guess I'll eat it. And that took me hours of labor to get there. And instantly what I noticed was the next time I went to a bakery, I had a whole lot more fucking respect for everybody that was in there working. Because, right. oh, my God, it is so much work and so much timing. And it takes so many nuances to get it really good that to see somebody devote themselves to that kind of a craft is, is breathtaking. And we're fortunate in, if you're a local and you're listening to this, and you haven't been to Mark Hugh in St. Paul. Yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable pastries. Like, this guy's a master, and we're fortunate to have this French patissier in the fucking Twin Cities making these unbelievable pastries. It's a wonderland in there. It's a Studio Ghibli movie. It's like the <laughs> highest praise. When you walk in there, you do the little fingers on your lips that you're like, oh, I didn't know people do this in real life. <laughs> and, you know, the little the little drop of drool that goes up and down. Uh-huh. Like, unbelievable stuff. I, I didn't know it, but in fact, I, I tried it this morning. And, uh, it, nice. It was great. And it, I mean, and it, it was even innovative because I tried this kind of uh, salted, it's not a pan chocolat, but it, it has the same shape. But in fact, it was uh, 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 there was some mushroom and uh, and ham in it, and uh, it was oh, just amazing. It's got I mean, I mushroom. Mean, I mean, I mean, and Ooh. you will never find this kind of stuff in, in France. But uh, I would. I had to come to the USA to try it. So just to, to add something else to uh, so my previous uh, uh, what I was saying before is that at the same time, I think that. We shouldn't. We shouldn't try to copy uh, or somewhere else. But we should be curious at the same time and, and open. So uh, I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing. But I mean, you shouldn't copy, but you should be curious because uh, it's nice to, to discover uh, some other stuff. So uh, and uh, you were uh, asking me uh, what should American people should take from France, but uh, for instance, I can also give you uh, an opposite response. Uh, Kate was, was saying me this, and uh, she, she's definitely right. We, we started a couple of months ago to, to bring uh, uh, to, to the United States some, some romarangé, which is a, a, a rum uh, with a fruit maceration and, and sugarcane syrup. It's really popular in, uh, in the Caribbean, in, in Martinique, in, in France, uh, and in Guadeloupe, and especially in France. In France, it, people are crazy about it. Uh, there is a, such a big market, and I was quite surprised that uh, there is no brand uh, uh, importing uh, Roma Rangé in the USA. Mm. So we started a couple of months ago. And uh, in terms of consumption, in France, we will drink it neat or uh, chilled or over ice sometimes. 
and uh, and uh, Kedge started to do some cocktail with it. I was like, what 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 are you doing? This is you don't need to mix it with everything. Uh, I mean, you guys American, you're also mixing everything. But I mean, she's right. She was right. She she uh, yesterday we we've been able to try a kind of tipon twist using Clara Communal and uh, passion food vanilla romarange, and it was great. I mean, and there is it's so so nice because now I'm gonna bring back to France new way of consumption this romarange, and maybe more people will be convinced to 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 to, to drink it. So I mean, it's a, it's always a nice nice exchange. And uh, when I mean curious, this is ex exactly mm -hmm. this. And to be open, I mean, at the, at the first time, I have to be honest. Uh, I couldn't understand what she would do with the Romarange, but uh, the, the, the result was, was great. So those were those really sexy bottles I saw photos of that have the fruit in the bottom? Yeah, exactly, those exactly. Are, yeah. <laughs> oh, those look incredible. Yeah, we got to get our hands on some of that. <laughs> All right. Benji at St. Genevieve. We can do that. Together, the cocktail in question. Yeah, All big right. up Benji. <laughs> Is that on the yeah. menu there? Okay, yeah. for the event. It was for the event. Still. But maybe go there and bother them and ask them for one. I'm into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think for, for going back to the, the, the question that I had asked, I think, so uh, I was fortunate enough, and I've talked about it a little on the show, to um, take a bunch of uh, friends of mine, and we stayed at a, a chateau in the countryside um, about an hour outside of Lyon uh, a couple Lyon? years ago. Yeah, uh, Lyon is one of my favorite cities in France. And what I really fell in love with, I mean, it was absolutely spectacular. I had, I had been to Paris a number of times, and I traveled around the north, but that was the farthest south that I had ever gone. And it, again, I mean, everywhere you go, it's just breathtaking. But what, I've, what I really loved was that every little town and village that we went through, they had their own, own cheesemaker who was making a style of cheese that they make only in that village. They had some cured meats that were from you know, either the curing technique or the actual genus of the animal was specific to that very region. And I think that we lose some of that here and we're trying right now to get it back. I see that in like mm. the, the farm to table movement and a lot of the push for bringing vegetables in from local farms and, and getting animals regionally. It's like we're kind of coming back to that, but I really... We didn't yeah, when after we bred all the fun out of pigs, we were like, wait, the flavorful pigs, where are they? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's because for so long it was pushed that value, the, the, the intrinsic value in your food and in your drink comes from whatever the cheapest thing is because you're, you're spending less money so you can use it on more things. Where I think where the rubber band has now pulled us back is, isn't it nice to spend a little bit more and then get something that has a ton more flavor that has been and worked on and, and isn't processed into oblivion? This is something natural. And I, I didn't, I guess I, I had associated those ideals with some of the restaurants that I had eaten at in Paris. But really seeing that even in the small towns in the rural areas, there was such pride in the craft of what they make right there. And I didn't have a direct corollary to that in the U.S. There are regional foods that we are very proud of. Like we go hard in the paint for Juicy Lucy's here because we put cheese inside of a burger, but nobody asks where the cheese comes from or where the burger comes from. And to me, it's like we're almost looking at the wrong thing. I would love to celebrate any kind of cheeseburger, especially when, since we live in the, the home of where food comes from, it's, it's nice. I love that the focus is on oh, well, this dairy comes from that farm. You can actually see it out the window. That's where the dairy is coming from. And then this guy makes it here. And then the pigs are from over there. Like that, that is just such a beautiful connection. 
And I think it allows you to have more pride in things when you realize that 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 food and that drink comes from the same ground that raised you. You know, it's the same water that you consumed growing up. And when when people have that link, even if it's a subconscious link, I think that they take a little bit more pride in what they're consuming when they can feel a connection to it. And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I, again, I, it's one of the things that I love about we're showing the regionality of all these because it shows how diverse and widely different these all are. Yeah, that, that can go for rum as well. Yeah. That was off mic. But. Yeah. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I, that's just one thing that I really wish, and that's not necessarily native only to France, mm-hmm. but that's something that, I felt every single day as we bicycled around and we drove around and we went to all these amazing little towns and villages. I just loved that that was a consistent line through everything. And I, I, I came home wishing that we would have more of that. And what I realized is we're on a journey to try and bring that back. And it's also kind of fun and kind of emboldening to be a part of that transition. Because that was not the focus when I was a kid going to restaurants. And that was not a focus when I started in restaurants you know, my first dishwashing slash busboy job at Baker Square, nobody was asking if the apple pie had local apples in it. You know, but now we have, we have amazing bakeries that are popping up that are using flour milled in Northeast and using apples from orchards outside of Alexandria. We got them apples. Yep. We got them apples. I mean, this was, this was pre-Honeycrisp days, man. We didn't even have that, that <laughs> money train going. <laughs> and I think this also enables you to... To, to understand all the efforts that was uh, uh, all the efforts that uh, the, the, the producers need, needed to, to do to, to produce yes. such a, uh, a product. I mean, you were speaking about the bakery and uh, how sometimes it can be not that good, but at the same time, it's so difficult. So you might have more respect for this guy. Hundred yeah, percent, absolutely. So yeah, so if putting, uh, to my mind the same the same. Thing I mean, yeah. You when you know how the where does it come from, how is it was made. You also uh, uh, you have more uh, understanding for all the efforts that were that was needed to 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 produce the, the thing at the end. Yeah, we had. I never. So in in my in my my family's all from Sweden and Norway. Okay. And we have uh, uh, Swedish pancakes. Are basically crepes. Like it's almost the same thing. It's a little bit different. But it's almost identical. Really thin pancakes? Really thin pancakes. I had like 30 of them this morning. Um, but <laughs> I, I never really, I, d- I honestly never really cared that much about them. They were delicious and I, I liked them until I tried making them for the first time. And it was like the minute that I saw how difficult it is to time that perfectly on the griddle and to get the perfect flip on that, I literally failed at it for one afternoon and it completely changed my appetite for them going forward. And every now and then I'll do it. I've gotten better at making them. But every now and then I'll do it just as a reminder. And it's like it just brings it right back up to, oh, my God, these are amazing. These are are works of magic. These are little miracles in rolled-up forms (laughs) with sugar and fruit or cheese and chorizo, whatever it may be. Like Sometimes it's just attempting it and realizing how difficult it is allows you to see how actually magical it is that we have access to things like this. What do we uh, what do we have in the glass now? Speaking of magic, uh, so now we have uh, a rum from Barbados. Um, it's uh, and uh, this is interesting because uh, previously we 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 tried a, a rum from Panama distilled in Colombe, then a, an Australian one distilled in Parcel, a Jamaican one distilled in Parcel, and uh, this rum from Barbados is actually a blend of Parcel distillation and Colombe still distillation. Uh, so in fact, 
both of the rum are uh, distilled separately and then blended into the barrel and mm. each. Uh, so this one, I mean, is from a famous uh, in the distillery, uh, which is Foursquare. I mean, I mean, uh, since I, I said that it was a blend of uh, parcel distillation and collapsing, everybody who knows a little bit about uh, rum from Barbados will know that it's, it, it does come from uh, Foursquare. I mean, it's uh, it's a great distillery. They are, they are doing great rum, so it's a, it's a great balanced rum. We call it uh, within our classification single blended rum because it's a pot seal and column seal distillation. Uh, so this one is a six years old rum, uh, five years uh, age in Barbados in Expo Bourbon Barrel and then one year more in, uh, in, uh, in, in Europe. Uh, this one I decided to, to bottle it at uh, 55 ABV. Uh, yeah, usually the, the rum from Barbados is usually bottled around 40 42, 46, 46 or so. So mm. I wanted to have something of a bit more powerful. But at the same time, it's still quite balanced and, uh, and easy to sip. So, yeah, I, I pretty like this uh, this, uh, this reference. It, it's a classic. And uh, I mean, I wanted to have it within the range uh, because, yeah, it's, it's a classic among the, uh, all the rum from, uh, from, uh, from Caribbean, uh, from uh, the Caribbean Sea and uh, from the world. So, yeah, the Jamaica, the Panama, the Barbados are really the classic one, and uh, the Australia is a little bit more uh, exotic, uh, if, I, if I can say, and, uh, and uh, we have a f uh, another SKU within the core range that we, we might be able to, to speak about later. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy about this. It's, it's, it's easy to see from uh, complex enough, but at the same time, yeah, sweet and, and balanced, so yeah, really nice. I, I think it, it will match really well also with, uh, with your cigar guys. Cigars, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. This is like a match made in heaven. Well, this is amazing. Cheers. Yes, good. Cheers. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. It's just, again, I, I know I keep saying it. I'm not going to tire of saying it. It just comes yep. in waves, and then you get different layers. Well, it takes time to get everything, because when you sit with it, I have a bottle of uh, Foursquare 2007 at my house, and it's my favorite bottle of rum in my house. And normally, I'm, I, I preach the Ronda Barrelito from Puerto Rico because I do love that, but that 2007 is ridiculous. And this is just like, it's like everything that I like about that bottle plus some fun little funky notes in there. Yeah, and it's working beautifully with the cigar. I'm really pleased that we decided to record down here in the speakeasy because the cigar with... Each of these is presenting dynamics that would only yeah. be possible with a cigar, and it's just this a, is amazing. A delight. This is so yeah. great. It yeah. is a delight. All right. Yeah. No. Thank. Thank you, guys. Uh, topic number four. Um, Joan, is there a food or a beverage that you enjoy that most people don't like? Ooh. Uh, is there a food or beverage? Oh, you can feel welcome to think about it too. You can kick the ball over to Guam. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun one. You can go a lot of different directions with that. That's super tough. Think on it. Yeah, think yeah, on yeah. it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Kwan, why don't you go? All right. You know, it's difficult because I'm I'm never wondering if uh, people like it or not. I mean, uh-huh. I'm, 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 I like a lot of things. I mean, I'm not too difficult in terms of food. Uh, I really like uh, a lot of things. Uh, so I you're mean, a pretty healthy eater. You'll eat pretty much everything? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is uh, how, how I was raised. I mean, to 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 to, to eat everything and uh, sure. to be not too too difficult. But uh, I guess, um, I mean, maybe uh, I like I really like spicy food. Mm. Uh, so yeah. and, um, yeah. I, I understand that it's not for everybody. So maybe 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 yeah, I like I like I really like spicy food, for instance. So my man, <laughs> you're in good Thank company you. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, no, let's try to, to have a, a, a real answer. Um, I'm trying to, to think about uh, a classic dish uh, from, uh, from Martinique or Guadeloupe. Uh, that, ah, yeah, 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 I have it. Um, we have, we, we, we the French name is it's called trip, uh, Triptina, so trip is like, Yes. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. The gut from uh, from the from the, the beef, tripe, uh, yep. the pork. Yeah, the tripe exactly. And uh, tina is like a it's a it's a green banana that you're gonna cook uh, in, in water. And uh, in fact, it's 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 not sweet. It's uh, uh, it's more salted. And uh, but for instance, I mean, I love this dish so much. But I know that a lot of people they they can't eat tripes because uh, just because. Funky. Where does it come from, in fact? So, well, yeah. <laughs> but then all those people eat sausages, and you're like, come on. Or even also boudin. Do you know uh, the, the black yeah. boudin, the, black cre- the creole boudin? I mean, it's made with uh, uh, pork blood. Yep. Uh, yes. So, I mean, I love yep, it so sausage. much. But, yeah, so for many people, it, mm-hmm. it can be yeah, difficult to, 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 to eat because uh, they, they know it's pork blood, in fact. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. How is the tripe prepared? Like, what's it? Is it... Just the tripe by itself, it's cooked in. Ah, it's cool. It yeah, it's it's kind it's of a, it's kind of a stew. Uh, so you add also some vegetables such as carrots and uh, onions and uh, a lot of stuff, spices also, and uh, and you you just serve it uh, along with uh, this uh, green banana uh, cooked in in water, Ooh. and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely dish. I, I so love it's it. pieces of tripe in the stew. Yeah, yeah, they, okay. they, are, they are cut in small pieces mm. sure. and uh, then cooked uh, as a stew, and uh, and you serve it with a uh, green banana. Makes me think of the, uh, when you said the spicy, it makes me think of, do you remember when, when Hout Dish still existed and they had the General Tso's sweetbreads? Yes. That was one of my favorite dishes. Yeah, there's a local restaurant that yeah. was prolific here for a time and ahead of its time probably also. But they, it was uh, similar, you know, it's, it's the, the sweetbreads and they'd chop it up and they'd toss it and then they'd fry it up like, uh, like the Americanized Chinese dish, General Tso's chicken. Yeah. And then they would serve it like that, and I would watch people like just eat it, and then they would find out what it was, and then they would instantly not like it anymore. That's the funny thing about <coughs> sweetbreads. If you like, didn't tell someone what it was, they would enjoy it. But yeah. once they realize what it is, they're like, what? The thymus gland? What are you fucking talking about? <laughs> yeah. It's definitely one of those foods. Just try it first, and then I'll tell you yeah. what it is. Exactly. And then when you like <laughs> it, remember that you liked it. Yeah. And just because the, the description doesn't fit what you thought it would be. It's... Uh, I don't know. I was going back and forth on this one. Mm. Um, I unabashedly like uh, Rocky Mountain oysters. It's literally oh, yeah. like bull's testicles yeah. that are cut in half and, and are fried. Um, that was 100%. Uh, I was fed them, and I thought I was 
eating some dif- different preparation of oysters, and they were delicious. And then a, <laughs> the server actually drew me a picture of a bull and then put an arrow to a nice hanging nut oh. sack that he drew. Wow. And I was, That's you know, I was surprised, but at the same time, I was like, these are delicious. And it's one of those things that, like, a few people really like, and then a lot more people talk about it as, like, shock horror. Oh, my God, I can't believe you ate those. Uh, and then the other thing that came to my mind was um, uh, the traditional cough drop in Norway is salted black licorice. And I don't care for, like, black jelly beans. I don't like just straight black licorice ropes. Uh-huh. But if you put that licorice flavor in any beverage, I'm pretty much into it, okay. especially if you add some, some uh, citrus to it. Okay. And for whatever reason, for the cough drops, if you add salt to it, I think that they're delicious. Oh, interesting. And Wait, is there salt in the cough drop? Yeah. Okay. So it's literally like it sparkles like it's going to be like a like what we would have is like a like a sour patch kid. But it's little granulated salts and then there's a little bit more salt inside of the candy. So it's like a sweet candy mm-hmm. with a salted exterior flavored like black licorice. Um, but for whatever reason, the salt makes me like it. Like I don't know. It's it it's a it's an odd pairing. It definitely it's not something that I see reflected a lot in a lot of other dishes anywhere, including in Scandinavia. But if you go to any like corner drugstore and you know you just have a cough, the display where here in America it's usually either like vitamin C, like citrus fruit, or it's cherry. There, the whole rack is just salted black licorice. At least you you find a way to 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 eat it and like it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. In fact, so. it's I I honestly think it's just I don't like the traditional American mixture of just sugar and black licorice. I just think it's too one note. It it just it's like really heavy handed. It makes everything kind of taste like that. But if you add in other things and other accents, I actually like everything involved. That's just too, it's too much of one thing for me, I guess is probably where that would go. But I don't know. Either way, people look at me like I'm crazy. Everybody there, super good with it. Brought them home. People literally look like I wouldn't eat that if you dared me to. People are challenged by black licorice. That's a flavor that a lot of people absolutely revile. So that's mm-hmm. a great answer. <laughs> they also have, they have a, they have a, um, they have a candy there uh, called the, I think it's tisipine, and it's um, is that tiny penis? No, it literally means pissing ant, <laughs> and it's a it's a black pepper flavored candy that has um, like the pop rocks stuff inside of it. And so when you, you're supposed to suck on them, and so they're kind of spicy in like a black pepper way. And then when you crack through the shell and you get to that center, then you get that kind of like foaming, popping feeling, and that's supposed to be the ant pissing in your mouth. Mm. And that's literally a candy that they sell to children. My name, my name kind of worked too, if you think about it. You know, a little surprise at the end. Exactly. Like, little thing you suck on. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I, but again, also those, I, I ate them on a bat as a kid. And then I, I like the reaction that I got from other people so much that I kept eating them. And now there's, a, there's one store here in the Twin Cities that carries them. And yeah. every now and then I'll just go buy a pack. No kidding. Don't share them with anybody. Oh, you know what? The, the world's largest candy store in Jordan, Minnesota. I don't know if they do. Um, but if, you, if anyone listening out there, if you're traveling through Minneapolis or if you're located here, go to Ingebrigtsen's on East Lake Street. And they are in a little uh, vertical candy display. And they also have salted black licorice cough drops. So uh, if anybody out there is even remotely has their interest peaked, 
go uh, go try those. <laughs> what about you, Charles? Uh, I got sniped. Oh, by Joan because I love offal. I absolutely love it. My introduction to it as a child was traditional Lebanese peasant dish called ghanam, and it is like Lebanese haggis. So what it is, it's a lamb, it's lamb tripe, it's lamb stomach, and you got to wash it really well, obviously, scrub off all those little hairs, and you stuff it and sew it up with a sewing kit. You're using actual string. Mm. It's stuffed with uh, rice, uh, ground lamb, and usually it's like um, the lamb is like, or the ground lamb inside of it is like from the neck, and um, chickpeas are in there, and, um, you know, your garlic and, and um, onion and some tomatoes. And it's cooked in, you know, you use water. Because in Lebanese cooking, you don't use stock. You mix stock with what you're preparing. So then you cook it in a pot. And you can also use, like, little intestines with the same filling. And um, traditionally, like, the old world way to produce it would, you'd, would be that you would use the lamb hooves as well to add the collagen to that broth and then get all the little meaty bits off of there. There's a crazy amount of collagen and lamb hooves. And it's like incredibly unctuous, greasy, uh, and satisfying. And it has that like little bit of funkiness where you know you're eating a piece of meat that's different than what you're ordinarily eating. Yeah. And I loved it when I was a kid. My brothers hated it. So my mom would, it, like tripe when we were kids, the butcher would give that to you. I mean, mm-hmm. we'd go to like Rainbow Foods or whatever local grocery store my mom would ask them, like, do you have any stomach? And they'd go in back, and at the time, they were probably butchering whole animals, and they'd just come out and hand her a bag and say, get out of here. Um, because we, had, we used to eat a lot of stuff like that. Like, um, it's funny to think that back then, you could get free bones. They'd saw yeah. bones from Arrow because they were going to throw those away anyways, and that's, like, one of the most satisfying foods on earth, and we'd boil those as well. But that was my introduction to eating offal, to eating mm-hmm. like the funky cuts. Yeah, and sure. I love all of them, like every single one of them I absolutely adore. And that was my introduction to it is that like Lebanese haggis. And what you end up doing is you take out the little stomachs, the, these balls are like little footballs. And then you take them out and they're steaming fucking hot. You got to wait like two hours for them to cool down enough to even put them in your face. And then you end up um, from there, you know, it's not like that little footballs on your plate. You know, you're not getting a whole one <laughs> yeah. yourself. You end up cutting everything up on a platter and mixing it all together, and then that's the dish that you consume. And, yeah, there's, like, this inexplicable funkiness. But if you do it right, it's, like, a little funky. You do it wrong, it's, like, a lot of funky. Or like, <laughs> someone, someone's, trying to, some, someone's trying to exact their revenge on me. Someone did something weird to this dish. But if you do it right, it's got, like, that little bit of funkiness. And I absolutely love tripe. Like yeah. uh, tacos too, like tripas. If I see that on a menu, I'm ordering it because it's and beautiful. Y- y- they make it all crispy on the plancha. It's unbelievable. You know what? It, it reminds me of uh, a, a classic uh, British dish also, which is like a uh, sheep uh, stuff stomach, but the Lebanese version seems to be way better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I've never had um, like Scottish haggis, haggis, but I bet I would love it because it's quite similar. You know, the dynamics of it are similar. There's no chickpeas in there. Yeah, sorry, not but, British, um, Scottish. There's no yeah. cinnamon. <laughs> the, only, like, the only reason that I didn't like the haggis that I had was mm. because it was, it was just bland. I just wanted it to taste ah. like something, and it tasted yeah. like they boiled it in water, and then they set it on the plate. Right. So it, it, it had nothing to do with the, the, 
the food itself. It was the preparation. Is it, yeah, that's the difference is there's like cinnamon and salt yeah. and like, uh, you know, if, if you do it the like real traditional way and you go all the way, you're using like Lebanese seven spice. So there's all sorts of other things that are happening that yeah. get the flavor. If you ate that and it had no seasoning on it, I'm sure you would absolutely hate it because it would just be, you'd feel like eat this so you won't die. You know, like you need to eat some food. So eat this thing. Like you guys don't even have salt. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we move on, Jean, is there anything that you don't eat? Is there anything that you're like, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Especially if it's something other people love and you hate, because that's no, the inverse. No, to be honest, I mean, yeah. I, uh, maybe as a child, uh, I, I couldn't uh, eat, for instance, uh, mushroom, uh, anchovies. Sure. Uh, mm. But now I, I, I love it, in fact. So, uh, okay. no, there's not so many things that I really don't like. I, I don't like licorice, uh, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I can't eat, like, any licorice candy. Yeah, uh, this is, Just this not is for maybe you. The thing, one of the things I, uh, I ate the most. <laughs> Cassis? It's different. 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 I mean, uh, yeah, it's different because in pasties, oh, 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 yeah, you have this licorice flavor, but we have you have something else. You know, it's uh, you have the star anise. You have you have different flavor yeah. around it. So yeah, but it, I, I mean, uh, I'm Can't not a huge fan of pasties. I mean, I drink pasties uh, also because it's ch it's. So cheap. I mean, you, if you go to Marseille uh, for one euro, two euro, you have your your glass of pasties. So uh, I mean, you can drink a lot and a lot for a, <laughs> uh, a reasonable price. So uh, yeah. so I mean, you're right. I mean, I was not so into pasties, but uh, I, I guess that uh, I learned to 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 like it. Uh, but yeah, I just don't like when it's only liquors. For our listeners, I'm like 50% sure I just said cassis instead of pastis, so apologies. That was not, it was, mm. pastis was what pastis, we were talking yeah. about. Pastaga. Yeah, I, uh, I was, like, while we were talking, I was just <laughs> thinking about the inverse of that, and, and I've tried to get into all the weird Scandinavian things just as, like, a, a link to my heritage, and the only thing I can't do is the, the, the urine-fermented shark meat that they do in the northern of Norway. I, I tried so hard. And everybody, like, they were all so nice. They were very proud that I even attempted. And I tried two. And I thought, well, maybe it was just the first one. Let me try one more. And uh, there's no amount of Akavit on earth that can, that can get that flavor out. Like, when you're using shark urine to ferment the meat <laughs> in the sun, it's just, you can smell it from the street. And, like, it, like something about that added to, like, the danger looming where, like, <laughs> it was, like, the movie equivalent of when the creepy music starts before anything has happened. That was, like, it was, like, the old, the, the smell version of that. It's like, even knowing it is problematic. Yeah. Like, I love skate, but, and I know people who love skate that if you're listening, I'm going to ruin it for you. They piss out of every pore in their body. Mm -hmm. So they basically are just, like, piss-soaked. Mm -hmm. They're just, everything about it is, they have to be really <laughs> carefully prepared because it's, they're just covered in fucking piss. That's how they. That's how they live. <laughs> I went to college with a few people like that. <laughs> oh man! All right. Well, what that's are we awesome. drinking now? Yeah. Hopefully what are we? Not <laughs> On to the next selection. Yeah. Here we are. Oh, that was beautiful audio. Thank you for doing that. I just oh, want, yeah, always the thunk. <laughs> I just want Feel the Pain by Dinosaur Jr. to start playing. Mm -hmm. To anyone that just nodded with me on that, thank you for being old. <laughs> I love you very much. the sample board, the yes, thunk. Yes, 100%. So next up, uh, so we're coming back to, to Jamaica. 
uh, but to different, uh, different distillery. Uh, so I was speaking about Homden uh, previously, and, and uh, here we are. We are at Homden distillery, uh, but uh, uh, as an independent bottling within the transcontinental Wormland range. But this time, uh, it's not anymore the core range, it's a single cask. So uh, what I was saying previously that uh, the core range is really an invitation to travel and uh, at the same time, uh, education, educational tool for people who want to discover um, the world of rum. Uh, the single cask are for more uh, advertised uh, people, I would say, because uh, the idea with the single cask is to... Yeah, to, to, to take the, the rum to another level, and uh, we are only doing castring, uh, castring uh, um, um, bottling, in fact, so no reduction. So, for instance, this uh, Humden uh, 2012 was bottled at uh, 57.9 ABV, which is not that high for uh, Jamaican rum. Yeah. Uh, but at least, yeah, you can get all the funkiness. So this one, uh, as a single cast, it has been aged uh, like a little bit more than three years uh, in Jamaica in ex-bourbon barrel. And when we get it in Europe, we put it in an ex-cognac barrel. So uh, uh, it's a kind of, a, uh, yeah, big cask. We, we had around uh, 370 bottles from this single cask uh, and castering. So yeah, pretty, pretty decent cask. So uh, it's a light mark of uh, Hamden. Uh, to to explain what is a mark, if if you guys you if people you you you, you don't know what it is, uh, actually uh, Hamden Distillery they are able to to, to to produce a large variety of rum from light to heavy rum, and uh, this one is uh, their lightest rum. We call it OWH, uh, meaning that it's a rum after distillation around uh, forty to eighty of esters by hectoliters of pure alcohol. Uh, I'm starting to get it more in the technique yeah. but because also this is the purpose of, of this range. The idea is so to be even more toastmaron and to give even more uh, information to the people. So that's why on the back label uh, uh, I will uh, I, I indicate the ester rate and also the sugar rate. But the sugar rate is here not to uh, say that we are adding uh, additives, we are adding sugar. Like I was saying before we don't add anything yeah. to this rum but it's just to explain to people that yeah you can find some sugar in your rum but it's natural in fact it's due to the uh, cask extraction uh, so in this particular case we have a, a 0.5 gram of uh, sugar by liter which is uh, almost nothing in yeah. fact but there is some sugar and i just wanted to let people let to, so they, they know that yeah you you have this uh, small amount of sugar but it's really due to to, to the aging uh, so I'm really proud of this, uh, yeah, this Hamden. So, so just like I was saying, uh, compared to the uh, official bottling, it's just here to, 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 to give a, another perspective. And uh, the fact that we have been able to age it in an ex-cognac cask uh, made it quite unique because uh, all the official bottling from Hamden, they were usually aged uh, in an in a ex-bourbon barrel. Things that uh, this year uh, we, we were able to release in Europe for now, and it's, it's going to come uh, quickly in the USA. We released the first uh, Homden Edge in X Sherry Cask, but oh, in Jamaica. Yes. Mm. This is important. Yes. This is uh, an important precision in Jamaica, meaning that we shipped some Sherry Casks from, uh, from Spain to Jamaica in order to, to have this uh, Homden Estate uh, Rum Edge in an ex-sherry cask in a tropical weather. For sure. Uh, and uh, this is 
so Zoram get to another level because uh, I mean after only four years we decided to bottle it because it was it was really the room was so dark and uh, and so pungent. I mean it's you have all the funkiness. We decided to to use quite a. Uh, highest rum from Emden because the Syracas would give it so much influence so to get to have the, a good balance uh, we, we decided to, to bottle it to, to, to use the HLCF marks which is the marks around uh, starting at uh, 400 gram of uh, ester by hectoliters of pure alcohol uh, and this is the beginning of the highest rum within uh, the Hamden um, uh, estate distillery but just to come back to this uh, single cast that we, we bottled for top 10 liquors in, in Minnesota uh, yeah I'm super proud of it I mean it's a great example of uh, what Hamden is uh, capable to do and uh, I'm so happy to be able to, to bottle it within my uh, my, my uh, transcontinental rum line range. It's not my range but uh, since I'm in charge of it uh, allow me to say my from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> and you said this is 57.9? Yes. I, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's beautiful yeah, it's how doesn't read that way no. Maybe a little sugar, bit on the finish, I would guess. Dancing I, in my mouth. I want to yeah. drink this on Christmas Eve with snowflakes yep. falling around me. I know it's verboten to say that in July, but yeah. And uh, if I may have something about Hamden, uh, previously we, we tried some Worsley Park uh, rum, uh, which is uh, uh, fermented molasses with selected yeast and uh, pot seed distillation. The thing with Hamden, uh, I mean, this is a lighter mark, so they just do uh, white fermentation, but without uh, uh, only white fermentation and, and post-steel distillation. But the thing really unique with Hamden is that uh, for their higher marks, uh, they're going to use also the dunder. So uh, the dunder is uh, the water left after the distillation because mm. the principle of distillation is to separate the alcohol and, uh, and, uh, and the water. So after the distillation on one side, you're going to get your fresh rum, and the other side, you're going to have this uh, remaining uh, acid water. And by adding this, uh, uh, this water uh, during the fermentation of the ne next, back, uh, ne next batch, yes, sorry, yes, yeah. uh, the acidity will uh, kind of stress the yeast. And that's how you have this esterification process. And that's why how uh, Hamden Estate is able to, to develop such uh, specific uh, uh, um, flavors, in fact. Uh, so speaking of... This single cast now uh, I have in front of me the Hamden Estate, the Younger, which is a, um, a 2016 rum aged five years in ex bourbon barrel, and the mark uh, in that case was is a El Rock. Uh, previously, I, I spoke about HLCF, yeah. which is we start at uh, 400 gram of uh, ester, ester by hectoliters of pure alcohol, and uh, the El Rock is just beyond this. It's uh, around 300 and 400 sure, gram. Sure, sure. And uh, so Elrock is uh, is kind of uh, it's already quite powerful, but uh, in the world of Amden, it's still light. Uh, so the younger is the perfect example of what this uh, uh, this distillery is able to do. It's a, it's only a five years old rum, uh, entirely aged in a, in a, in a, in ex bourbon barrel. So you still have all the freshness, but just. Um, the, the right influence of, of the wood. So uh, we only reduce it at 47 ABV, and uh, to my mind, this is a yeah great example of what Hamden uh, uh, Estate can can offer. And so in that case, uh, just to to give uh, a little more a little bit more uh, explanation on, on the production process of Hamden. So uh, beyond the the, the dunder, they are also using uh, what they call uh, uh, the muck. So. The muck is uh, something really special at Hamden. We we can I could say it's like kind of a, a, 
the DNA of the distillery, sure. what make what make makes it unique. I mean, I told you that uh, Omden has been distilling rum uh, since uh, 1753, and and for two century and a half, the, the taste hasn't changed. In fact, due to this mug pit, it's kind of the yeah the DNA is the memory of the distillery, mm -hmm. and uh, they are still uh, uh, maintaining this this mug pit. In fact, uh, this mug pit is kind of a hole uh, in the distillery, uh, just um, below the, the fermenting mm -hmm. vats, and uh, as if they're gonna. Mix uh, a lot of things. Every time, each year, they're going to clean the whole distillery, or all the, the fermenting vats, and all of this, they're going to put it in the mug pit. So uh, saying it mm. like this, it can sound kind of disgusting, but this is uh, the way for them to, to keep this flavor. Uh, and uh, this is this is what makes something really unique. This is uh, one of the, the only uh, Jamaican rum distillery uh, using that technique. You have also Long Pond uh, in the Trelawney area, so next, right next to, to Hamden. And this is the uh, only two distillery in, uh, in, uh, in Jamaica that are using this, this technique. And in fact, Hamden was the first one to develop this production process. And uh, yeah, two, 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 century, two century and a half later, they are still doing it's the same way. I mean, uh, uh, I told you guys I was there last week, and uh, it, uh, I was so impressed. Oh, wow. I mean, uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so specific. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at a picture of it right now. That is, that's amazing. And so, yeah, the production process hasn't changed. Oh. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, each metal. owner of the distillery, uh, since uh, the last two century and a half, they, they maintain the same production process. They didn't change anything. And that's how I um, then uh, was able to, to yeah, to, to maintain this, this high quality of production. Oh, I would say, like, this high-level dissertation, if you're listening to this and you're the Zach Galifianakis gif right now with all the, <laughs> the equations. <laughs> you, you now have the opportunity to use this as, like, a resource to experiment with these yeah. delightful products, many of which are available in 30 states now, uh, probably other countries as well because you have listeners in many other countries, you can refer back, rewind the tape, and then find the portion of the pod. I'll, I'm going to put these in order uh, of our consumption. I'm going to try to, <laughs> in order of consumption, <laughs> on the um, podcast description if you look at it. That way, if you can refer to each uh, topic of conversation, you'll be able to refer to Joanne's notes on each of these and yeah. then yeah, follow maybe along we, about Maybe the we can provide also a kind of a Mark's explanation because, uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it can be uh, difficult to understand just like this, but this is what really make unique Hamden distillery and all the Jamaican distillery, the fact that they are able to to, to produce such different style from just by themselves. Absolutely. So within the yeah. distillery, yeah, they can develop such different style and at the end, yeah, you're going to have such different flavors. So, uh, in the past, and even right now, uh, British blenders, they would order specific marks from Hamden Distillery and some other Jamaican distillery in order to, to make their own blend. And uh, the idea for us right now is also to, uh, just like uh, uh, before I was speaking about this 100% uh, pot still uh, uh, rum from uh, Appleton Estate, yeah, the yeah. idea also is to, to bottle this single mark just by themselves so people can understand how unique is the distillery and uh, how they are able to, to produce such different style from uh, just by 
adding more or less dender, mock pit, uh, just by the length of the fermentation also. The fermentation can, can last one week until three weeks, it's sometimes even more. And uh, just, yes, yeah, they really have uh, such a unique production process. It's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, I could speak about this for, for four hours. We, we could do just a specific uh, <laughs> podcast on, uh, on, the, on the mark Absolutely. and the, the production process at, at Hamden. We got, si- we got the science and the fun. That's kind of how we Yeah, like it's a nice mix. <laughs> oh. Yeah, new product. Beep, 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 beer. Uh, there's, there's, there's Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, nice, nice. Because I was like, we have so many new products coming to the market. But yeah, so since, yeah, I mean, we, like we want all we of them. The <laughs> idea is also to, to educate people. So uh, we're going to release soon this year uh, a gift box set, including the eight different marks of Hamden. So oh. only fresh rum, right rum. So uh, from the OWH until the DOK, the DOK is the highest mark uh, from Hamden Distillery uh, to speak about Esther. There's eight bottles in this kit? Yeah. What eight size are the bottles? Uh, 20 centiliters. Sure. Okay, because as you say, you could call this the, the suicider kit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, now yeah. I'm picturing myself on Christmas Eve. Yeah, no, that no, uh, yeah. It, it, <laughs> crying. It's, it's a lovely gift box <laughs> set. Super, super, super <laughs> nice. I mean, uh, uh, I'm super proud that uh, we have been able to, to develop this gift box set. So I was saying it's uh, from the OWH, so the lighter smartphone, and then until the DOK. So DOK means that it's a ROM with a. Uh, Hester rate at uh, 1,600 gram of ester by, by 8 liters of pure alcohol. I mean, usually you don't drink it neat. Uh, it's uh, a rum that is used also in the perfume industry, uh, also oh. to do some, uh, some, uh, okay. some pastry, some cooking. I mean, you, you, sure. you can do a lot of stuff with, uh, mm-hmm. with the Omden rum. And so the idea was to let people understand how unique is the distillery and by uh, showing them this different style of firms that uh, that they are developing. This is, again, thank you for all of this. Like, not only is this just a lot of fun and these are delicious, but it's also just so wonderful to have you kind of walking us through this because I don't know where you would be able to get this much in depth as you're tasting along with everything. So, uh, and for those of you out there looking for companion material, what are you going to get that holiday gift for that podcast you just love? Well, boy, do we have an idea for you. <laughs> it comes in an eight pack. This is yeah. an exclusive right here. First time in the world we've talked about this. This is the first time it's been discussed, this, this eight-pack situation. That's what, uh, that's what we bring to you here at Libations for Everyone. <laughs> yeah. Nice cool kid. Nice Looking cool. over the edge. <laughs> All right. This is awesome. Uh, nice. Charles, I think that's you're up again. Yes. So, Joanne, uh, there are a lot of commonly mixed rum cocktails. I think people kind of rely on the same four or five recipes. Is there a rum cocktail that you really enjoy that maybe not that many people make or order that uh, they should probably give a chance? Uh, I would say uh, Agricoco. No, I'm joking. Agricoco. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, people, you guys, you should, uh, I mean, people, listener, you should try the Agricoco. It's definitely uh, amazing. Uh, But I like to to do some kind of uh, cocktail twist. But you think rum? Uh, one of my favorite cocktail is a, is a Negroni, but with Jamaican rum, for instance. So oh, hold up, uh, real one quick. Third cheers. We didn't cheers. Cheers. Oh yeah, yeah cheers. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so one one third of uh, of Jamaican rum, one third of uh, of bitters such as uh, Mulasano bitter, 
and uh, one third of uh, of uh, red vermouth, and it's just amazing mm. because usually uh, Negroni is done with gin, but just re replace it by Jamaican rum. It it works really well. If you like the bitterness. Oh yeah, I mean, all I can picture is that pineapple old pal. Oh shit! <laughs> Charles, I didn't use rum. I, I know, but uh, but I'm I'm picturing that now. That was wrong. Uh, Charles every year has a, a Negroni party at his house, and last year his was a barrel aged pineapple Negroni, basically. Pineapple old pal, yeah. yeah. Uh, and imagining that, I, it was a beautiful cocktail, and imagining that with some rum, I, oh man, that makes my toes curl. I did I swear imagine. to put sherry in it the next time I Solera in that barrel, so that would be with rum. Ooh. That would be very sexy. Or, uh, I mean, uh, um, previously, uh, I would think that my, my dear colleague Kate, uh, she, she, she started to do some, some cocktail with, with the rum arrangé. And uh, uh, which one is, is like the mimosa? Like the, I mean, she, she put some, some champagne and uh, she just topped it with some passion fruit vanilla rum arrangé. Oh. Uh, it's worked really well, too. So, and this is really unique. I mean, the, and uh, if you want to try something unique, is this, this is a, a, next level. A, a super cocktail. Oh, I want that that's, so much. Yeah, that's next level. Um, for me, I, I, I really fell in love the first time that I had uh, like a rum old fashioned. And I will, I will tell anybody out there, as old fashions have gotten so ubiquitous that you can get one at any bar in the suburbs, and it will probably be made pretty decently. Mm. I... Uh, I really, I implore all of you to get a good bottle of rum and, and do that. Because it, it just shows how versatile it is. It brings out the sweetness. It's a very approachable drink if you're not familiar with a lot of rum. It's a really great entry point because... you have it, a rum preference for a rum old-fashioned? Uh, Appleton was actually what I used, and I mm. thought that was really beautiful. I am, I am lagging behind. Uh, you I you know what? I, I wanted to say uh, rum old-fashioned, but I almost feel like it was... Already a classic. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're right. Uh, I, I was just I thinking people around here don't think rum. You know, they yeah. don't think rum. They think everything. They even think uh, like mezcal now before they would think rum. It's yeah. Okay, it says arguably it was the original old fashioned. I mean, yeah, that's this, this country, as much as we claim bourbon, I mean, this country was built on rum. So it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me that that's where, that's where that would go. Um, but also, like, I love, I've loved um, basically making, like, a spicy daiquiri. Uh, I, I really enjoy doing that as well. Get an overproofed rum and then just add in a little bit of, like, a, honestly, I, I used a habanero in there. But just as the, the sweet notes in the pepper flesh, the way that that bonds with everything, and then you have the, the tartness from the lime juice. I just really love that mix. And there's a depth to that that... Something about the sweet, fruity depth of rum, it just brings out a different layer of the heat in the, in the pepper. And obviously, we talk a lot about agave on this show. We both love mezcal. We both love tequila. I'm not trying to say that it's... it's a whole range. Yeah. But that is, that is something that I get more of an interesting combination of things if I go that route. And I really love that. Yeah, and it's... It, I'm glad that you've brought up agaves because the range that we're experiencing across this portfolio is tantamount to a lot of my recent experiences with our sudden availability of so many beautiful 
mezcals and other yeah. agaves. If you go to if you're if you are a Minneapolite and you go to Escondido, they have this incredible selection of agaves. And you can have like four different bottles using um, a, a variety of of different genuses, and each of them imparts such wildly different characteristics. Yep. And for us to experience rum this way, just in this particular line, to me has a very similar effect. And I totally agree. Very, very eye-opening. What about you? What's your rum drink, girl? There's like the, the vanilla way to approach this would be that one, one day every summer, it's usually like the hottest day of the summer, I just get fucking schnockered on um, um, Dark and Stormies. Yeah. I just wreck Dark and Stormies. It's usually someone's having a yard party, and then I just like set up a table, and I'm like, line up, motherfuckers, I'm making Dark and Stormies. And now, you know, Earl Giles just opened their um, new facility in Northeast Minneapolis here, and they have this really beautiful, um, uh, oh, my God, what's wrong with me? The ginger beer. Their ginger yeah. beer is top-notch, the best ginger beer you can find. It's not even close. So making with that and then selecting, you know, a rum that is good, but that, you you know, you're, you're comfortable mixing because yeah. you're going to dilute it with all the lime and everything. That's my um, vanilla answer. <laughs> I think my... More complex answer is something that you might not make at home, but you could. And I'm going to actually consult my recipe that I put Ooh. down in my notepad. And it's a it's an ode to uh, a legendary um, tropical tiki Polynesian, whatever you want to call it, bar from Chicago that recently shuttered Lost Lake. Mm. Legendary bar, and their titular cocktail is called the Lost Lake. And they serve it in an actual glass. It's not in some funky, you know, tiki-looking thing. They adorn it with a flower, or adorned it, R.I.P., and then like a, a, a pineapple leaf and a couple other little fun doodads. But it's Jamaican rum, lime juice, passion fruit syrup that they made. That's probably the element that would be most difficult to replicate, but you can make a passion fruit mm-hmm. syrup. Uh, pineapple juice, maraschino uh, liqueur, and Campari. Oh, yeah. So you get like the, all the tropical elements, a little bit of bitter from the Campari, Obviously, the rum is present, and then passion fruit. Who ate? Who doesn't like passion fruit? Name name someone who doesn't like passion fruit. I'll name a liar. So, did that come out a little bit more tart than like a jungle bird? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that, well, that sounds fantastic. Little, in my just head. like a little additional fruit tartness. Yeah, obviously, jungle birds are like we had Mike Agasanak on. Yep. Jungle bird is his big thing, and he's like waiting for that to become a big deal. It's funny we don't have like a we don't have a rum cocktail that has emerged and became a big right. deal. I've always thought that. Dark and Stormies at some point we're going to have their day in the sun that people suddenly were going to order those in droves. It's just never really happened. They're so uh, good, though. They're so good and way too easy to make. Yep. Way, too e- way too easy to make and way too easy to drink. And that's why <laughs> you do it on the hottest day of the year and you get schnockered and you're like, well, that was satisfying, but I'm, I'm not going to buy another four-pack of ginger beer, so <laughs> see you next year, pal. But that, that lost, like, you're, you're going to have to make it yourself. I don't think you can – you're not going to walk into just a regular bar and say – Hey, uh, look at this recipe and make it for me. They're gonna be like, "Don't I have fucking passion fruit syrup?" <laughs> but it's we, a it's a it's a delicious drink, super satisfying. Oh, John's got a question. Oh, no, if, if I may, I just want to say that over Fourth of July weekend, I took a bottle of the Papaline. Over Fourth of July. And that okay, over Fourth okay. of July, you took which of the, the, the Papaline? So this ah, the next one we're about to consume. Yeah. Yes. How did that go for you? It went well. Did you? Okay, a little dry. 
Okay. Okay. Added, you added Angostura. Instead of a dark rum flavor. Yeah, even the Lost Lake, uh, you can, you know, you could add bitter bitters if you want to make it. You know, you want to add, like, layers of depth and make it a little more bitter or go a little heavier on Campari. I think if I make it, instead of the quarter ounce, i probably add a little extra Campari yeah. for color and for depth and, and a little bitterness as well because I particularly enjoy that. But, I actually, yeah. now that you say that, though, John, I really like the idea of drying it out a little bit because that, that would appeal more to, like, my palate. I think sure. that's sometimes with, like, a dark and stormy, it can be just so much, depending on what ginger beer you're using, that can just be so much sugar coming in that you kind of right. go numb a little bit. Yeah. And drying it out with the Angostura instead gives it a little bit more depth of flavor but also cuts back on that sweetness. I could really, yeah. All right. Well, okay. Yes, yeah. To anyone that's worked in the service industry and has done the uh, the bar ginger ale. Or, the, sorry, yeah. the, the nostalgic the nostalgic element of what? So I can recant this for the listeners. Oh, of bar ginger. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That's what I was okay. saying. Anybody yeah. that's worked in the service I find industry, that the ginger beer has made ends that. Up for me, cutting the the sweetness a little bit, and you know, there's no other real element of sugar. But I do occasionally make it with. I'll use the plantation pineapple mm -hmm. rum. And at that point, then you add, like, extra fruit sweetness. You could counterbalance that with bitters or with something else that gives it there more, are some, more like, depth of flavor. Reeds, to me, is too, there's too much sugar in it. Like, Reeds, it just hits too hard. And for a long time, that was one of the few, like, good ginger beers that you could find in this market. And that was where I just, like, I, I love the amount of lime juice in the Earl Giles because it, it, it tamps that down and it actually makes it a little bit... Um, it, it makes it brighter and also it makes the ginger a little bit spicier and I, I really enjoy that. Mm, I go like I go really hard with the lime and I end up like leaving the vestiges like the dead pieces of lime in my glass and I just build on that and by the time my glass is full of fucking crushed lime I'm like all right it's time to call an Uber. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, the ice. <laughs> okay, in Wisconsin, they call that season ice. But you have to so shake it when you John, say that to somebody. You always <laughs> have to shake it. <laughs> like, yeah. Seasoned. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, it's good. Just pour it over. It's uh, complete side digression, but we were talking about, um, there's a, a show on TV right now called The Bear, or just Bear, I guess. Uh, and it's... I think it's The Bear. Is it The Bear? I, yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, it's a fantastic show, and what, the reason Charles and I were talking about it is because it gets what it's actually like to work in a kitchen. It gets it right on. Like, I had anxiety the first couple episodes because I've been in there trying to figure out, like, <laughs> putting the cutting board on top of the sink because there's no more room in the kitchen to try and, you know, do some veg prep. And my, I watched it independently of my wife. We both watched the first two episodes. And when I asked her what she thought of it, the same mm. scene hit both of us. And it was, the, it was <laughs> the first time that I had ever seen on TV somebody show that everybody in back drinks out of the one-quart deli cups. Delis, yeah. And that was what I always used to make. Um, I used to make the soda water, lemon, and, and bitters. Like, you that see was it IRL, my, though. Like, yeah. if you, you know, just look behind the... <laughs> Just look behind the counter. That's yeah. Hold on, here, Kate, come here. here. So t today we were driving around in a in Emma's car, um, and she's a, a sales rep with a Libation Project. She's one of my favorite humans, and she had the deli container in her cup holder with a with a cutout and a and a metal straw stuck in, and I was like, "Oh, girl, you're my hero." Oh my god. <laughs> this is uh, we're talking about Emma Held. 
All right, so uh, Emma has been Mama Bear to me for a very long time. Her and I, Emma and I, were fortunate enough to work together for four years and have been friends before and and since. <laughs> and one hundred percent, her and I uh, on Thursday nights were the nights that our, the night that our restaurant would always just get crushed. And her and I would set up at the expo station side by side. And, you know, I'm, I'm a giant and, and she's teeny. We'd stand next to each other and we would both put our deli cup of soda water, bitters, and lemon. Mine was on the left. Hers was on the right. And then we would go to battle. And, you know, we'd sell through two or 300 uh, covers. And then we'd have this stack of tickets at the end. And both of our cups would be empty. And then it was like, we made it. <laughs> we survived. And that's all you can do. Yes, she keeps it going. Shout out to Emma Held. Oh, I love you so much, dear. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's up? What's, what do we got going to bat here? So oh, we just discuss it just slightly, a little the bit. Papalin? Yeah, Papalin. Cheers, guy. Cheers. Um, so, Papalin, Papalin. So, again, we were in Jamaica, and oh, uh, this is a super so fun good. product, and uh, I love it because uh, Papalin is a, is a Jamaican blend, in fact. So, it's a blend of two different distilleries that we already uh, spoken about before. So, uh, a blend of, ja- of uh, Worthy Park and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Hamden. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I like this product so much because, uh, I mean, I think that we kind of uh, have a bad um, perception of blend. I mean, uh, blend sometimes can be, yeah, just, okay, we blend some stuff because they are not too good by themselves. And sure. so we decided mm. to we decide to mix them, them together in order to, to have a kind of a new product good enough. And uh, this is not the idea with the product. This is, with this product, the idea was to, to let people understand how uh, a blend can be cool and also how uh, also difficult is it to blend i mean uh, what i was saying Absolutely. before is that uh, master blender is a real job i mean yeah. you have to to uh, uh, the idea is to replicate the same taste uh, years after years and uh, with this papalin the, the idea was to to find a perfect balance uh, in order to 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 produce a proper uh, jamaican rum so uh, yeah, it's a blend of Forsy Park and uh, and uh, and uh, and Hamden. Both of the rum were were, were aged uh, at their uh, respective distilleries, so only tropical aging and uh, uh, just a blend. It's a seven years old blend and only reduced at forty seven uh, ABV. And to my mind, this is a wonderful uh, introduction to to the world of uh, Jamaican rum. Just like uh, we we did previously with. Uh, Transcontinental Rum Line, uh, uh, Jamaica, or the Amden uh, El Rock Younger. All of those are wonderful introductions to, to the world of Jamaica. And uh, uh, for the Papalin, the idea was really to let people understand how uh, a blend can be cool. And also, uh, we, just, we didn't just put together two rum. Uh, the idea was really to, to find the perfect balance. And I think that, guys, when you, you're going to sip it, uh, you, you can... Find both flavors from Mercy Park and Amden, and at the same time, it's really well integrated. And this is all the magic of uh, about this product. So, uh, uh, we we I was able to uh, to ship a first batch uh, in the USA, and uh, in the coming months, we will ship uh, another one. And uh, the idea also with this product was to to be able to produ- to to propose. Uh, an affordable uh, Jamaican blend uh, with a uh, high quality, and uh, yeah, I'm super proud of uh, this product, uh, and uh, hopefully, yeah, people will like it. And uh, in the future, we will also uh, soon introduce uh, another Papalin, but from Haiti, uh, which is oh. a blend of five different distilleries. But yeah, guys, you, uh, yeah, I'm sure you're gonna like it. But yeah, here today we are here to to, to speak about the Papalin Jamaica, and uh, yeah, yeah, I'm really proud of this product. Uh, in fact. 
we were able to 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 uh, to to release it like three three days ago. So yeah, it just arrived. Just it's, arrived. Not, it's not even released yet, but we just got it out of the uh, of the warehouse uh, three so two or three days ago. So it's really new. It's a it's a it's a it's a uh, premiere. Uh, world premiere for you. There guys. we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> we got two <laughs> exclusives. World premiere. I'm hitting the genie sprinkles for that. You genie sprinkled us? <laughs> I'm a genie sprinkling sp- bastard. We've been sprinkled upon. We've First been sprinkled. time in a couple episodes. No, it's, 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 it's great because we, 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 we tried Borsi Park, we tried Emden, and now we have a blend of the of both of the one of the best Jamaican rum distillery. Maybe in the future we'll be able to, to do a, a papalin using also uh, Appleton Estate. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so no, no, I'm super proud of this product. As you so, should be. Uh, in fact, uh, um, in 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 the USA, uh, we were able on, on lo- only to to import the 47 ABV, uh, but uh, in Europe we also had uh, a f- 57 uh, uh, ABV, which is uh, what we call the Navy strength. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, hopefully uh, we will be able to 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 to, to bring this version uh, soon in, in the USA. But at this guy, you can try this 47 uh, ABV version, which is. Uh, yeah, strong enough and not and at the same time quite soft. So I think it's uh, all uh, Jamaican lovers they will love it, and uh, it's also a good way to to introduce uh, people to the the way of the to the world of the funkiness. So no, no, I'm really proud of this product, and uh, and uh, I'm really proud also to to be able to to, to speak about the, the art of blending because to my mind this is really uh, art um, because yeah, uh, what I was saying is you you really have to to to, to find the, the balance. So um, so we, we really did several tests uh, until we find the perfect balance between these two great worms, which are Amden and, uh, and Worsi Park. It's a very impressive range yeah. across all of these bottles, like so many variations and characteristics yeah, of, and, uh, of something. And, that and what I was saying is like, I mean, yeah, the rum world is so diverse. I mean, we've been yeah. able to try uh, official bottling from Amden, uh, uh, independent bottling from uh, Amden, from Mercy Park. Now you have a blend of Mercy Park and uh, Amden. I mean, you can do so many stuff uh, with, with, uh, with the rum. I mean, as long as you respect it, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. And uh, I mean, this is what we are trying to do. Uh, and uh, I hope that we, we are doing it well. <laughs> I... If it's up to me, you're doing incredibly well. Thank you. Thank <laughs> this you. is spectacular. Thank you, but Thank you for all my team because this is me speaking tonight, but uh, I have a whole team uh, working with me. I have Kate doing uh, incredible work in the USA. I mean, uh, we have been here for five years right now, and uh, I think that uh, Kate and Jan, they, they did uh, incredible work. I mean, you, you, can you imagine there are only two people to develop? Uh, we are in the stage right now, and there is only two people for Amazon Valley in the USA. I mean, I'm here also to help you a little bit, guys, but I'm, I'm based in Paris. So, uh, and uh, in fact, Amazon Valley, we are just a team of six people. So, no, no. That's I'm, amazing. Uh, I'm, I'm quite proud of uh, our work, and I'm super also happy to, to have been able to join this adventure. Yeah, it's impressive. I also feel like that leads perfectly into our, our final topic. Yeah. Um, first of all, I would like to say cheers. Cheers, guys. So the, one of the things that, that um, Charles and I have really tried to focus on since we started the show two-plus years ago um, was we started hashtagging celebrate everything. Like, you don't need to wait forever to, to celebrate something for, like, something really important. Sometimes it's just celebrating, hey, we're with somebody who was a stranger when he walked in the door, and I would now say is a friend. 
And uh, a factor of that is also giving shout outs to people who have, have been a positive influence along your way or whatever, uh, if you want to call it giving flowers, you know? So um, I just wanted to ask, like, is there somebody that you want to, to uh, give like a shout out or a thank you or, or tell a, a, a story about somebody that helped you along your way in your education or in your career or anything like that? Is there somebody who was influential in shaping where you've gone with, with this rum education or even taking it back to the track and field days? I mean, it, it could be just somebody who taught you some lessons that were specifically about that that have stuck with you in life. Uh, to be honest, uh, I would say that, uh, yeah, this journey, as I was telling you, started in this uh, retail shop uh, at La Maison du Whisky. I had a great team at that time. They are still my friend. I'm still visiting them uh, as much as possible. And, uh, uh, you know, at that time, uh, a lot of my friends, they, they didn't understand why I would work in a retail shop. I mean, uh, I, I did uh, um, uh, my study in a, in a business school. I, I studied for five years, and uh, they were all taking this job in, in banks or as consultant. And uh, so, like, what the fuck are you doing, uh, Joan, <laughs> uh, working uh, in, a, in, a, in a retail shop? Uh, in the, for, I mean, and I was like, okay, guys, I don't care. This is what I want to do, and uh, we will see what's going to happen next. And yeah, I'm lucky that uh, four years later, I'm here to, to speak with you. So, so yeah, uh, yeah, um, big up to, 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 to my former manager, uh, Mathieu, the whole team for, from uh, N5 Spirits uh, retail shop in, in Paris, because uh, if I'm here right now, it's uh, thanks to you guys. I mean, I learned so much from my colleague too. They were so helpful. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, like I, I told you, I, I thought that I was knowledgeable in, in, in the realm, but all I know was uh, agricole rum from Martinique and Guadeloupe. This is my uh, entire universe, and uh, and in fact, it was just a small part. I mean, <laughs> the, the agricole rum is uh, and the Portuguese can juice rum uh, are only re representing three percent of the rum production, so it's almost nothing. I mean, it's really unique. It's a French exception, but uh, it's not representing the the the, the world of, uh, the world of rum itself. I mean, there is so many stuff uh, uh, beyond this. I mean, uh, the first time I, I tried the Clairin, I was like. What the fuck is <laughs> I mean, you were, you were speaking of, of, of Daikiri. I mean, to my mind, just to, to, to twist a Daikiri, I'm just using Clairant. It, it, it's, a, it's a totally different product. So, yeah, I just want to, yeah, to, to thank yeah, all, uh, all of the, the people that, that uh, yeah, helped help me to, 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 to get into this industry. Also, the, the president, president of La Maison du Whisky, uh, Thierry Benita, I'm, I'm not sure if he's going to listen to this podcast, but I mean, uh, uh, I had to, 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 I had an interview with him to, to be able to work at the retail shop. And uh, I mean, uh, and uh, I had no experience in, in that field and uh, he, he trusted me enough to, to, to work at uh, the retail shop first and then to, to join the Amazon video team. So yeah, thanks to you, Thierry, too. That's amazing. What about you, my partner? I struggle with these types of questions because Quam has asked, this is the third time he has asked a question of this nature because uh, I'm, I'm an autodidact. I haven't really had any major mentors in uh, my sort of um, the formation of my vocation and the way that I do things didn't really have anyone. I had some like cool professors and stuff that taught me some things. But it no doesn't one necessarily really have to be about work, though. It could just be like somebody who influenced. Oh, I know. Life. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. All but right. Uh, I think that hearing uh, Joanne, like your journey and and your like rise to the ranks, like you 
you obviously really um, applied yourself and you're obviously incredibly intelligent about these products and you made your own way and then hearing about like being given opportunities and things of that nature. My studio, uh, Patmos Design and Identity in Minneapolis here has been around for 14 years and early in our formation, you know, 14 years ago, you couldn't work with breweries. Like it wasn't, there was no money and also um, being trusted to, to be like an ideas guy for a brewery also really wasn't a thing. I worked with several breweries before I had my first like real partnership, like a like an actual partnership with a brewery. And that first brewery that gave me that opportunity and trusted my intuition and my my skill and my knowledge and how studious I was about um, the the landscape of those products and and helping to like formulate new ideas not just doing like design and marketing was uh, Insight Brewing Company in Minneapolis. When they gave me a chance, it was literally uh, similarly to a lot of the other breweries that I was working with. I, I came on to do a project and that project was their first anniversary, which at the time, and they're like, what, eight years old now? I don't even know, but it was um, their first anniversary party and they were floundering a bit when it came to conceptualizing events like having festivals and stuff and I pitched the idea of this festival to them is the, their first anniversary and I coined it a trip around the sun and it ended up being gangbusters like easily the biggest party they ever had and also were, the first time that you and I socially hung out that wasn't yeah like where we judging like thing. hung out yeah. together right so um, so it was very influential on in your life Charles yeah <laughs> for sure big time yeah, in, in more ways than one. But uh, at that, after, like, the success of that event, they put out an RFP to work with, like, a, an agency to have someone work hand-in-hand hand with them on a regular basis to um, enact uh, marketing campaigns and designs, things of that nature. And uh, I threw my hat in the ring. We're a small studio. Uh, it ended up that that party was moving enough for the ownership group that they decided to work with me. And I, I worked with them for three years. Uh, and it wasn't, it went from, you know, doing design and concepting and parties and marketing, things of that nature to conceptualization of products. And for me, like, I don't think that my calling in life is design, even though I, I feel like we do really well at that. I feel like I'm, I always say I'm an ideas guy first. And they gave me the opportunity to help them to conceptualize products and it paid off in spades because we came up with a litany of products that were first, first of form. We did the first, we did um, um, Northeast by Northeast. It was the first hazy that was produced in the state. That mm -hmm. was my conceptualization. Uh, we did the first um, coffee, coffee, light coffee beer mm -hmm. in the state, um, Banshee Cutter. And a lot, of, a lot of products, first vanilla stout, First, you know, we, the barrel aging program was the first of its kind that we were using different barrels and things of that nature. And I think that they know and understand and feel that that risk paid off. And that was, I wouldn't say the first step because I already work with breweries, but that was a major step toward having the reputation that my studio has with the local beer culture sure. for people understanding like what I bring to the table and People like Eric Schmidt and uh, Brian Berge were people that like could see that 
I give them a lot of credit for being able to identify that I could present these ideas and images and concepts that would, you know, grow their business to the degree, the degree that it did for at least for my part of, of that in tandem with their talented brewing staff at the time and their sales crew and, and all of that. And so I guess I would say that, yeah, uh, in terms of like someone giving me an opportunity, like saying, put, putting their hand out and saying, let's fucking do this. Mm-hmm. And, and then, um, you know, doing the job and proving that I could do it. That's something that I, I can probably always look back upon as like a, a huge opportunity. And I um, uh, have a great deal of respect for them for having that trust in, in me and my studio. That's awesome. Oh, here, John, come here. Here, I'm going to give you the microphone. <laughs> a restaurant that I opened with, uh, Esker Grove, we always had insight on tap, and that was partially because of you. It was Banshee Cutter, Trollway, Sunken City, too. I think we started with Sunken City, but then mm-hmm. went to others. But, yeah, that was a very – that was a mainstay tap line for us because the beer was always beer was always good, and the, it followed through with the concept – of the, the style of beer, the, you know, the itch that's, that it scratched, um, which is good stuff. Heck yeah. Doing good stuff. It also, it mortifies me when I watch some, or when I watch and listen to somebody talk into the same microphone that I have, when I realize like how loud I am all the time. It is just amazing. <laughs> like normally human speaks into the microphone. It's this level. And then I hear myself start talking and I'm like, oh my God. sorry jenny i love you so much thank you for staying married to me uh so for me uh i was thinking about uh and thank you john for your kind comments yeah Yeah. truly appreciate that um getting ready for this and and knowing what what i knew about you before we had met and knowing what what you all were bringing in every now and then i marvel at the fact that like that I'm at a point in my life where I can appreciate all of this. And I like to try and, and draw back. Uh, I am the product of the idiom that it takes a village to, to raise a single person uh, between having a split family and not really feeling like I had like a, a home base. It was, there were a lot of different people that have affected my life. Even people who were only in it for a few months, you know, really changed the course of things. And, um, there's a chef, I've tried to find him a few times. He's old enough that I don't think he ever got into social media. But um, there's a chef, his name was Tom Ryan. And he was uh, the chef at the first nice restaurant that I bartended at in 2001 and 2002. Uh, it, was a, it was called Copeland's. I've talked about it before. It was a 28-day dry age steakhouse and fine Cajun dining. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, French cooking technique via New Orleans in Minnesota. And um, there was a weird run, which sadly happens a lot more now, where uh, the INS sort of dropped a hint that they were going to do a bunch of raids in the city of Minneapolis. And it cleared out a lot of kitchens that had a lot of Mexicans and Ecuadorians working there. Um, And there, I mean, there are so many things that we could talk about politically about how disgusting that is to treat humans that way. I hope if you're listening, you agree with me. Um, but all of, all of that horror aside, we also still had a restaurant that had to open and had to run. And our restaurant at full capacity could seat 364 people. So it was massive. Yeah. 
And so Tom didn't know what to do. And he had enough solid cooks that they could work the dinner shift, but we had lunches to run. So um, what he asked is if some of us in the bar who are all in our early 20s who liked food and were learning about food, and we had a great cocktail program, and so we were all learning more about cocktails. He asked if we would be willing until we could get the staff back to work the days in the kitchen and then take a little break and then close the bar at night. So we'd show up between 8 and 9 in the morning, and we'd work the lunch rush through the afternoon, and then the PM crew would come in, we'd have an hour off, and then we would come back and, and bartend. <clears throat> and Tom was a lot more, he reminded me a lot more of like my football coaches growing up. He was very much, he didn't smile or laugh a whole lot. He yelled a lot. He threw a lot of plates. He threw a lot of towels, threw a lot of plastic deli cups everywhere. But what I loved about him was that he didn't, he didn't talk over your head because he knew that you didn't know very much. He was really, really great at breaking everything down to the easiest parcels of knowledge to understand and give me as much uh, digestible information as he could in a small amount of time, and then it would be like, go. And looking back on that, I, um, I was late to getting into like cooking food and making things from scratch, and I, li I literally, like in high school, didn't even understand that normal people could make things from scratch. Like, I thought you had to, like, get a secret sauce from somewhere if you wanted to make, like, a bolognese or, or, or an Alfredo or a Berblanc. And so I was, at that time, just learning how to make things from scratch. And the way that Tom taught me flavors and how things worked and then how you were supposed to plate them and how things were supposed to come out, how proteins were supposed to come off the grill or off the flat top, all of that is the base that all of my cocktail knowledge stands on. And he's one of the few people that I haven't been able to track down to say thank you to. And I'm pretty sure he would probably just throw a deli cup at me and say, shut the <laughs> fuck up, Quam. Because <laughs> that was his style, you know? But it's... That's it's, what I was imagining before you said it. And then you said it so. yeah. <laughs> like, and the, the funniest part is, I bet if, if somebody not in this room walked up to him and asked hey, do you, A, remember Ben Quam, and then B, do you think that you influenced the course of the rest of his life? Maybe he'd remember me only because I pissed him off so much, but I don't think he would think that he had any like effect. pissed him off. Yeah, everything, 100%. You're not special. Everyone pissed him off. <laughs> he was, he, um, I, I think I've told this story before. I put a, a ticket stabber through the middle of my left oh, hand yeah. uh, during a shift, like all the way through so the, like, it looked like that. It's a good way to go to. Yeah. It's a good way to go to the cabin. Yeah, and you're not. You're not. They tell you you're not supposed to pull that out. But I'll tell you what. I dare anyone <laughs> to stab one of those through your hand and then look at it and be like, I think it should stay there. The first thing you fucking do is you pull it out. And what was um, the ticket for? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's embarrassing. I was trying to get everybody excited. We never had TVs at the bar because we were way too classy for it. And they finally relented and they bought a single TV. And it was the day of the first football game of that season. And all of our regulars came down. They were all sitting at the bar. You could still smoke in bars. So we had cigar. We had a cigar bar and a humidor there. So we had these crystal ashtrays out. Everybody was smoking cigars and excited. And so I did like a running drum roll down the bar. And one of the servers had moved the ticket stabber because she was trying to grab all of her drinks. And she moved, oh, yeah, it. It, was the actual she moved it out of the service stand. well onto the bar. And I didn't see it. And I put my hand right through it.
but <clears throat> it somehow, very luckily, I didn't hit a single nerve and I didn't hit a blood vessel. I held the Vikings, but what is that? Shit? So I held my hand up and you could actually see daylight through my hand because it wasn't bleeding right away. Because it was just like literally the fat inside your tissue started to pu- like puff out, but there was no blood. So I went back and I'm, I got a, a towel wrapped around my hand and I was like, Tom, of course, was the only manager on duty. You're delia, and I was like, Tom, I, I got to go to the, I got to go to the hospital. And he goes, what now, Quam? And I took the towel off and he goes, Jesus, fuck. Yeah, go. <laughs> but, but I was like, I don't know if I can drive because I can't grip the steering wheel. So we had to have another guy drive me to the hospital for that. So maybe he'd remember that story. But, uh, but it's funny how somebody that I worked with for a year and a half, <laughs> like it was the things that he taught me, the little bits, the for, the, it was like the foundation was laid. And then everything that I built could be level and could keep getting higher because he had taken the time to teach this idiot 22-year-old bartender who clearly thought he was hot shit enough to work a fucking hotline. Uh, he, he took the time to teach me that. And I loved, you know, like, he was the one that, that got the idea out of my head that pork has to be well done. Like, we talked through trichinosis. We, we went through the history of it. And it was like he already knew everything I was going to ask and would just offer these little answers and then would tell me how to plate something but then explain why. And that still is how my brain works now. It was how he taught me in the kitchen is how I try and take things apart and how I try to taste things. You know, he would have me taste, taste a sauce. Like, what's it missing? Like, I don't know the rest of the ingredients that are on the dish. Like, I don't know. He's like, no, no, no. In the sauce. Like, is it too salty? Is it too sweet? What, what do we need? And it was like he knew I could get the answer, but I didn't know how to say it. And he would pull it out. And that's all of the balance that I look for in my palate. It was all because this angry, slightly older chef, who's probably literally who's probably my age at the time. Like, my age now at that time. Mm-hmm. But he seemed so much yep. older because I was half his age. Yep. But, yeah, so I shout out to Tom Ryan. And to all the people yep. who influence us in our journey, whether they know that they're doing it or not. Emma Held, uh, who we just spoke about. like Or whether we remember it or not. Yeah, whether we remember it. Struggle with is like, whether you know you've influenced somebody. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Here, come here. Kate. I'd really like to answer this question, too, um, because I've actually been thinking about this. Kind of, Carla. Hi, I'm Kate. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I work with uh, Joanne in the U.S., so I manage uh, the U.S. market for Le Maison and Velier. I get the privilege and the pleasure of sharing transcontinental rum line with the U.S. market when Joanne is not in the U.S. Um, And Joanne also helps me get everything into bottles, into cases, onto boats, onto shipments, arriving at port, and then I take it from there and get it to our amazing distribution partners, into our amazing retail partners, into all the cool uh, bars, restaurants, um, places all over, um, into the, the mouths and the bellies of rum lovers all over the U.S. Um, so it's really, uh, really just inspiring for me every day. Um, but I've been thinking about um, this kind of question a lot lately. And um, I, have, I have this friend named Jake Parrott, who maybe some of you know. He works for House Alpens. And I get to see Jake maybe once or twice a year, and it's never planned, and we always run into each other. And we always... You know, order a cocktail, sit down, and Jake says, um, so Kate, what have you learned? And, I love that. you know, for 
I've, I've been doing this now for five years, and for the first couple years, I stumbled through, um, did you know that in this control state, they do this? And, you know, there, there's no guidebook to this. You know, I, I manage uh, about 30 states now, and there's, there's no rules, there's no regulations. No one's really ever trying to help you navigate it or figure it out. And so for the first couple of years, I've really stumbled through um, – you know, I've, I'm learning logistics, I'm learning operations, I'm learning how crazy this uh, whole world of navigating the TTB, the, uh, the governing agency to get labels and approvals and get stuff into the country, um, to navigating every single different state has different laws, and it's, it's really wild out there. Um, and I, I think that Jake has taught me self-reflection in a way that I really value um, because I think about this question a lot with everything that I do where you know I, I, I come to Minnesota and I get to hang out with my friends at Libation Project and, and John Olson and I leave and I think okay what did I learn um, what would I do differently what, what would I do again uh, what was important and um, I, I get to see Jake next week in New Orleans, and I'm excited to uh, report to him that I've learned that um, I value community, and I value um, experiences like this, where, you know, right now we're sitting in this basement of this amazing building. It is beautiful, and we're surrounded by these rock walls, um, and the room is filled with cigar smoke and the scent of rum, um, and we're having this amazing conversation uh, across um, a lot of different backgrounds. You know, my colleague Joanne is here for the first time really traveling through the U.S. market with me, and I, I get to hang out with you guys and John Olson, who's maybe my favorite human in the world, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but I, I really, I, I value conversations like this that are just so open and honest and free and, um, and really valuable because I think that, you know, I'm, I'm always saying that rum is best when shared with friends, but I really believe that that's true because I think that it really builds community. And if we don't have that, then what, what is the point of all of this? Um, so I just want to thank you guys so much for, <laughs> for having us here um, and for allowing us to, to just to have a conversation about the, sort of, the world of rum with you and the world and introducing my colleague, Joanne, uh, with the U.S. Um, and John, John is pouring some, <laughs> some Hamden Estate uh, 2010 Rock, which is the oldest rum that Hamden Estate has ever bottled in the history of Hamden wow. Estate, which is really, really beautiful. Um, so, so thank you so much because I think that, you know, self-reflection is everything and it's, it's these moments that are so memorable. You know, we, we go in and out of uh, retail shops and bars and restaurants and tasting cocktails and it, it kind of becomes a, a, a national uh, blur of deliciousness, but it's, it's these times that just really stick out as being super memorable. So thank you so much for, for having us here. It, it really means a lot. Truly, truly. I think the, I, I don't want to speak for Charles, but I would say that the pleasure is 100% ours. This is, <clears throat> we, uh, we talk about gratitude a lot on this show. Um, we both try and live that uh, in our lives every day. And it's not always easy. It definitely isn't. But focusing on it can remind you of all of the good 
that's around you and all of the wonderful things that happen. I've always, since my very first bartending job in 1999, I have always marveled at the bar's ability to make everybody equal. You know, like the seats are all the same size. The bar is the same height for everyone. We're all just coming in and whether we're celebrating or we're sad or whatever, these spirits are made for, as you said, for us to have a conversation and for sharing. Holy shit, and that's good. Yeah. This is, oh, I wish, I wish this podcast had smell-o-vision for all of you because, oh, my God. That is... Banging. It's unbelievable. And honestly, while we're here, not to leave John out, uh, I, I cannot imagine the cocktail scene as it is right now without you being a part of it and your ability to both understand the bones of what the classics are, but also your ability to take the little map that shows you how to put the Legos together and just crumple it up and throw it away and say, I'm looking at all of these pieces and I'm going to make something my own is something that I've always envied in you. And I don't know that I've ever told you that, but it's to be able to have to have the history and the understanding of why a classic is a classic, but also to not chain yourself to that and only be holden to those things, but to, to just honestly be kind of fearless and say, yeah, but what if we did this? And a lot of people, it's not that they don't think they can, it's that they don't think they can even ask that question. And it's always something I'm reminded of whenever I see something that you're working on. Post La Belle V, I used to chase him and Gorski around town. Exactly. Do their their little cocktail Absolutely. takeovers and it was always a treat. True <laughs> Penny, True Penny, that's right. I was trying to think of the name. I knew it was a coin. I was yeah. like, what's yeah. the fucking name? Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, you know, it's it, the beautiful thing is that none of the bottles that we've sipped from today are the, the product of one person. It's a lot of history and a lot of humans and a lot of hands, a lot of time, a lot of love that, that made them end up like this and I think that's something that we share with that we are all also the same products of that and sometimes good sometimes bad but if it pushes us to where we are and we're happy with that place then I think that it's worth every now and then thinking about that and then we took them all as shots like yep. fucking heathens <laughs> like a bunch of heathens <laughs> I mean there has to be an element of debauchery it's you and me Charles so that's, that's right <laughs> um Joanne, as we're finishing up this episode, uh, I think the first thing would be where, where should people go to find out more about the rums that they've heard about, about what you're up to, what's going on? Is like a website, social media? Is there somewhere that you would prefer to direct people? Mm, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, you can, they can call me. No, <laughs> <laughs> no I mean, they can follow uh, all our social media uh, on Instagram, especially. I mean, uh, Kate is doing a uh, uh, an amazing rum, uh, work uh, on, on Instagram and uh, uh, with uh, Homden Estate, La Maison Villiers, Spirit of IT, uh, T-Serial. I mean, she's managing all those social media accounts. I mean, I, I really sucked at it. So, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, she, she's, 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 she's great. And uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, also I think that on the internet you have so many great blogs uh, not owned by, by us. I mean, just just passionate people that uh, that are gonna really uh, 
try to 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 explain as much as possible how unique are all those realms. So uh, I don't have one blog in mind, uh, one specific blog in mind, but uh, I mean there is now uh, a lot of information available on the internet, and that, that's a great thing. And uh, otherwise, for instance, uh, for the transcontinental rum lines, they just they just have to, to look at the label. In fact, so. <laughs> 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 that's great. Uh, and then locally, um, you did some fun stuff with top ten liquors here yeah. in the Twin Cities. So go check it out there. But uh, it sounds like a lot of our our finer uh, spirit purveyors. We'll be, we'll be carrying these lines. And then Charles and I, uh, we will definitely post some links to all this. We'll get a, a picture of all the bottles for anybody out there that's interested. Yep, if look, at, look into the description. You'll find links to everything. I'll yep. post that there. And if, uh, if you don't have this in your state, uh, please, you know, let them know. We need to spread the rum love because yep. maybe one day it'll finally be. The year of rum, <laughs> and it's coming. <laughs> on that on that note, you know, I I sort of uh, coined this hashtag hashtag ask for it, but it's so important for really small independent brands like us. You know, it's it's hard to um, to fulfill the desire for things when there's no demand. So, if you yeah. if you want independent spirits, um, if you want Caribbean spirits, if you want. Uh, really cool uh, mezcal in your market or scotch whiskey in your market or Japanese, what, whatever it is. If you're looking for independent brands, you know, it's so, so useful to go to your local uh, retailer, um, go to your local bar and ask for it um, because the best way to uh, build that in your home market is to show a demand and that makes it so much easier to, uh, to get independent brands into your market. Yeah, and if you're in one of these, you know, there's 30 states. We're not going to name all 30 right now. But if you're not uh, terribly certain whether they're available in your state and you just go to your local, whoever you shop at, and it may be available in your state, it may not be, yeah. just ask. They'll punch it into the computer and they'll see whether it is or isn't available. And then if they don't have it, then they'll know there's some demand for it and that maybe someday in the future they'll be able to access that for you. we got to be the change we want to see in the world. That works for everything, man. <laughs> <laughs> Joan, thank you so much. This has been so much fun. I, yeah, I, I really had a great time too. I mean, uh, you, uh, it, you were thinking before, like, yeah, when I entered into this building, we we be, we, we didn't know each other, and uh, after yeah, two hour and a half, I mean, yeah, I can say we are friends. I mean, we had a great discussion. Uh, we are definitely on the same page. I learned so much from you guys too. I mean, uh, it was a great discussion. I mean, uh, yeah, I love, I love, I, I feel so lucky to, to that you guys inviting us uh, to, to, to participate to your podcast. And uh, I mean, just let me know when, when I can come back. Yeah, <laughs> we're ready for it, man. I Next love time it. you're in town, we'll have some and tripe uh, and rum. Yeah, we'll have some tripe and rum. And uh, I also want to, to say another um, thank you to, to, to John. I mean, uh, John, I mean, you, you, you spent the last three days with, with us. You, you take care of us. I mean, uh, thanks to you, uh, I was able to, to discover this beautiful city of Minneapolis, and uh, uh, I've been able to purify myself in the Willy Tonka Lake. I mean, uh, no, thank you, thank you, John. I mean, uh, uh, thank you, thank you to the Liberation Project 
team because when I was also saying that, yeah, we have uh, Kate and Jan developing the, the world market for us. Uh, we have also a, a super distributor in, uh, in different states and Liberation Project is one of the best. And I mean, without you guys, we, should, we wouldn't be able to, 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 to bring all of this product to, to the market. So yeah, just thanks to you. I mean, it's, it's, this is your job, but uh, you, you are doing it, doing it greatly well. So thanks, thanks, Jeff. Thanks to, to, to Libation Project. Yes. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. This is, uh, this is so much fun for us. We would, we would love to have these conversations just sitting here anyway, but it's a lot more fun when we can share them with people all over the world. My mind is still blown, yes. Charles, from that graphic that you showed me of, of where our listeners are. Um, yeah. Thankful for every one of you. Agreed. Uh, Charles, anything you want to, uh, to let them know about? No. Just drink, drink more rum. Drink more rum. I think we can, I think that's the perfect thing to end on right now. Put on a great record and pour yourself some rum and just imagine that even if it's not for everyone else, this is the year of rum for you. Hey, it might not be the year of rum, but rum is here. Rum is here. All right, thank you, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.